The sweet sound of sports you love from Sling. The collide of football pads. The squeak of shoes on a basketball court. The crack of the bat on a home run. The slice of skates cutting across the ice. But what about this one? That's the sound of all the sports you love. All at once. Starting at $40 a month. Experience it all live with Sling. Sling. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Once again, wasn't even planning on recording with Danny today because we got a nice long podcast with Mike Schmitz for right after this, talking about his observations, scouting the top 10 or so of the draft, and then also giving us some of his sleepers and potential busts. We, we go really in depth on the top 10. So stay tuned for that. But first, Danny and I have to get to all these trades that happened today. And first, first, I have to remind you that we're sponsored today by Audible. Thank you to them for supporting the program. All right, let's get right to it, Danny. What were the terms of this massive Lakers Nets trade? D'Angelo Russell and Timofey Mozgov are going from the Lakers to the Nets in exchange for Brooke Lopez and the 27th pick in the draft. So the Mozgov deal really was that bad, huh? It was. We knew it was. And, and it's pretty remarkable to see how expensive that ended up being for them because I like to think about this trade more in terms of the Nets just because, and this is one where I do think you need to split the two again like we talked about with uh the Sixers and Celtics trade because for the Nets they we we talk a lot on this uh, we've probably talked about this more than any other podcast about the idea of how much it costs to get rid of bad salary and so with Mozgov three years 48 is what I believe was remaining with him we had said the line about how you know that's basically 20 million or so for a first round pick but what they did what what yeah 20 million in dead salary for a in dead salary and Mozgov is not all dead salary but you know close close to that and so what what Marks did, which I think was was a really good move, is that instead of getting kind of two middling assets like what we probably would have expected from the Blazers if they were trying to dump one of their bad contracts, he got one much better asset in the form of D'Angelo Russell. Of course, they did also give up a late first round pick and Brooke Lopez, who can both help the Lakers too. Yeah, the Brooke Lopez part is an interesting component of this that we'll get to. But it's just my one criticism of this for the Lakers and I'm not sure. I'm not sure whether this is a bad thing or not. But you would think that the price to dump Mozgov would have been a lot lower with only two years left on his deal than three. So that's definitely a reason why maybe they should have just waited, and maybe they could have just held on to Russell and see how the fit was between he and Lonzo Ball. It definitely seems though that Magic and Polinka had decided that you know whether he was a cancer or he just wasn't that good. And I understand why they might feel that way about him. I have not been as high on Russell but that's as a potential superstar player I just don't think he quite has the athleticism but I you know if he starts shooting 40% on threes he becomes a pretty darn valuable player and he also really hasn't had a chance to operate in the way that would most showcase his skills which is actually playing with a space floor he's basically played with a four man who doesn't shoot 
two threes nearly every moment of his career in Los Angeles. So I think Russell still has enough upside, certainly more upside than anyone on the Nets right now, to where I think he can at least be a quality player going forward. And the, the Nets are going to just hand him the keys. Probably, I mean, they still have Jeremy Lin on the on the team, but this also actually could free them up to try and move Lin and get another asset as well. Lin has, Lin has one year left on his deal at twelve million, which actually is not a bad contract. There's a lot of teams once the music stops that may be looking for you know a backup point guard who could also move to the two a little bit the way Lynn can uh, and then Lynn has another year on his deal with a player option which he may or may not decline we'll have to see how the point guard market shakes out that's going to be another big component of this too that we haven't talked about so it does seem that Russell's value around the league was low because there have been other reporting indicating that the Lakers tried to move him for a lottery pick and got no takers which I, I think especially towards the back end of the lottery that's something that I would have taken a look at if I were yeah, I mean think about some the of Pistons. those teams like yeah the, Piston, the Pistons were rumored to be trading their trading their pick or shopping it for a veteran D'Angelo Russell would have been a really nice high upside comparatively guy for them along those lines that isn't just completely there especially with Reggie Jackson's injury history and just his poor play last year now a reason why the Lakers why it made more sense to move Moskov now was Lonzo Ball is coming in it's going to be the pick is going to be him uh, by the way we told you here right that don't buy this they're going to draft somebody else noise uh I mean that was I think a lot of that was just maybe to try and pump up Russell's value with the idea that oh we could just keep him you know and I think they also saw Russell as more of a point guard than an off the ball guy but if you think about it number one they actually in addition to dumping Mozgov they actually got a guy who I think is going to help them this year in Brooke Lopez offensively he's a really good fit with Julius Randle uh if Randle in fact sticks around uh, I mean the guy there's so many components to this I can't even <laughs> I can't even wrap my head around all of them at once so and then the other component of, of that is is that maybe D'Angelo Russell once the shine comes off him maybe he's not enough to help you get rid of Mozgov at this time next year you know maybe they they felt like hey he's not that good he's only going to look worse once we get Lonzo in here we might as well use whatever value we can out of him now to dump Mozgov uh, and maybe that's what the approach was and we get someone who can help us this year because if we are going to go into free agency next year it would help if you know we weren't the worst team in the league there's also a direct parallel though I don't think this is as extreme an example obviously with the guy who was taken immediately after D'Angelo Russell Jaleel Okafor is a very talented guy who showed a, who showed a fair amount his rookie year was buried and disappointed in the time that he actually got to play and Eve I think was has been unfairly basically kind of cast aside from the little bit of course you can't really tell any of that until a guy actually gets traded and D'Angelo Russell's a talent you know he's not he's not the end all be all he's not Markel Fultz we neither of us think I don't think either of us thought of him that way then either and so that's that's a part of it and Brooke Lopez is another you brought that up as another fascinating part because not only does he fit in the near term but I had thought as soon as the trade came out about the idea that they could move him to somebody else just because the present value isn't as necessary for the Lakers they don't have their pit they don't have their pick this year so either way that doesn't really affect it they're looking more at you know wooing free agents and everything like that so yeah being being not terrible helps but then I started realizing there isn't a team that has urgency that he would fit even though i'm sure there are teams that would love to have brooke lopez what you would be probably getting back is not necessarily worth it in that way he's an expiring contract it all kind of works in that in that realm so i think this this that part of it really does help the lakers and to kind of turn this discussion a little bit but i think to what ends up being a very important part of this is the number i want to say is 66 million so it could be a little bit different from that, but that's the tentative number for what the Lakers would need to have in cap space, assuming the 102 estimate, which is the one that I'm using 
for 2017, or sorry, 2018, to have enough space to sign one seven to nine year max and one 10 plus year max guy. And they're not all the way there, but this trade puts them substantially closer than they were before. As of now, with the cap hold for Julius Randle, which is $12.5 million, he will be a restricted free agent next summer. They're at 36 million in space. You dump that, you get to 48 million in space. And they still got Luol Deng at 18 million and Jordan Clarkson at 12.5 on the books so you could get to 77 million if you dump those guys and whether it's through trade you know maybe one of those two guys rehabilitates enough so it doesn't cost you too much to get rid of them or simply even stretching them which you know if a certain 35 percent max player became available in the summer of 2018 you just do would do whatever it took then you're actually looking pretty good and that that also includes lonzo ball's salary for 2018 which will be about 7.5 million and then the salary for 27 and 28 which could be on the move potentially and that now is what's been apparently being discussed with the Pacers Julius Randle 27 and 28 is supposed to be the package a little more salary would have to get thrown in there as well probably Corey Brewer's expiring contract something they could look at Nick Young if he opts in that decision is due any moment uh, on his 5.7 million for next year whether he's going to opt in or not so I mean if that's the package though you would hope that someone like Cleveland could beat that package by moving Kevin Love if in fact they wanted to do that and we'll talk more about some of the rumors around Paul George and Jimmy Butler that surface today as well and so let's just talk about this from the lakers perspective we'll get to the nets a little more in a second is it a good trade or not i think it's a fine trade it's not an amazing one because as you said with mozgov i also think he could have recouped his value at least a little bit i think he was pretty much treated as dead money in this trade but brooke lopez is going to help so i would you know it's somewhere kind of in this in the cb range for them i totally understand it it's a defensible deal i think they could have been a little bit more judicious about it so i'm fine with it from their perspective but i don't think it's just this amazing steal or anything like that no i i agree just on its own but especially with some more of the developments that we've seen with david griffin leaving the cavaliers now lebron tweeting in support of griffin uh lebron by accounts was not happy that they were unable to come to an extension agreement for david griffin the rumblings that he wants to play in la there's a report that his wife wants to live in la and i I'm still not like all in on this by any means, but I'm definitely feeling worse about my bet with that certain NBA personnel guy about, you know, a nice dinner in Las Vegas in the summer of 2018. If LeBron ends up with one of the LA teams, I said he he wouldn't. And this guy says it's going to happen. So I may be paying up there uh, if the trend continues. And this also would seem to indicate for the Lakers, number one, that they have a lot more confidence in their ability to attract free agents. Now magic certainly is not exactly wanting uh, for confidence and his ability to sell people and and be that guy in the in the room and so maybe this is just totally speculative on on their parts or maybe this really shows hey they've got something here they have a pretty good indication that someone in addition to paul george wants to come there and it also seemed a little skeptical uh, or a little weird even though paul george is from here uh, in la that he would be just like so gung-ho to go there and just be on what would looking like it's going to be a mediocre team unless there was some inkling that they would have a way to have other people join him. And now that starts to make a little bit more sense if there is part of a 
you know, this is all part of like the plan that people have in motion. And it could also set off a weird form of an arms race between the two LA teams because Paul George, from what I've heard, grow, grew up in Palmdale, about an hour north of LA. And the Clippers were actually the team, from what I understand, that he rooted for growing up. They could easily clear significant space too. They just have to make some very real decisions. And because their guys are coming up for free agency sooner, they're more expensive, all that sort of stuff. So we will have to see where that where that goes. But the, the specter of both LA teams potentially competing for free agents and it may be becoming closer to an all or nothing proposition makes the next six months substantially more fun for me. Oh, absolutely. And it remains to be seen. I mean, it seems like, though, with Russell out of the picture, they, they don't really have the assets to me to get Paul George. If I'm the Pacers and that's really the best offer out there, 27, 28 and Julius Randle, I'm probably going to just hold on to the guy, frankly. Yeah, uh, somebody and, and should, I mean, even as other teams who are pretty good just for a rental can beat that offer, right? Like Boston or I mean, it's going to be awkward having it for a rental or, or Cleveland, obviously, uh, again, if they're willing to give up love, which I absolutely would be, but maybe they're not um, with him under contract for a year longer than than George. Let's look at this now from the net standpoint. This move actually cap neutral for this year. Essentially, they are looking at 28 million in space, almost exactly where they were before the deal. And that's assuming that KJ McDaniel they, they take the team option on him otherwise it goes up a little bit above 30 so they've still uh, what do they need now basically they need they've got a couple of guards although lynn maybe could be on the move I and mean, they still need a two guard although they've got karis lavert he, he is an interesting fit with russell neither of those guys those both those guys are kind of slight neither of them really seem like great defenders so they're a little bit duplicative of one another uh, but at least you know those are young talent they got ronde as well you know he, he'll probably he's probably better at the four they got really mozgov will probably start at center and we'll see whether they decide they want to just kind of keep that space open and be more of a dumping ground as we get to the trade deadline or do they want to just sign some guys on one-year deals and see what what they can come up with and they've got some bad salary on their books now they got andrew nicholson who's basically dead and mozgov i thought didn't play as badly as people seem to think he did and then he just got shut down at the end of the year uh, last year so i mean i think he could be a semi-adequate starting center for them um at least play like 20 25 minutes a game but they probably you know justin hamilton kind of failed last year they, they need to get a little bit more in the big department but they could be this is a good question here because this is from a celtic standpoint you've got both of these teams picks next year the lakers is protected so it only goes if it's two through five do you think like are you happy about this deal if you're a celtics fan did the nets get better did the nets get worse with this deal getting russell moving on from lopez i think the nets got worse in the in for 2017-18 which is a good thing for the celtics and I think the Lakers got better. And if you feel like you'd rather have the Kings pick than the Lakers pick, then you're in a kind of a good place there because you, you're looking like more like that's going to be the direction because two through five is a pretty narrow window. It's possible. I mean, I, if it goes into two through five, I'd rather take that bird in the hand because you know it's a top so five pick. So yeah. would I. So, but, but that's just, I think that's just a, a very narrow target to hit. It's even in some ways narrower than one through three, just because you could just be terrible and have a decent shot of that. So we'll have to see with, with that part of it. But what I think the Nets need to focus on, and I've been pretty dogged about this in the past, and it's still true, is focus on three years from now. Focus on, you know, that year after, and you articulate this well with that, you want to kind of be bad for for the 2018-19 season, because that's the first year that they actually have their own pick. And then after that, you build. So you can do that through signing 
guys. But the better way to do it typically for them is to actually acquire future assets, draft picks, things of that nature for salary. I think that's a better use of it, of, of their money right now. And then maybe a year from now, when you're one year out, then you can start to start to spend that because it's not like, but but you can still look for values. Look for the Seth Curry's of this market. There, those will exist. And so you can try to find those. But again, focus on that third year. So that's where I would be going if I were them. And I don't think position needs to matter that much. I think it's just who you think are good and see if you can get them on the right timetable. So the Lakers now only looking at about 12 million in space. And that's if Young opts out. Although if he opts in, they're basically just about out. You're almost want to just use the mid-level exception and stay over the cap for, for one year at that point. So, I mean, they could get one more player on a one-year deal to try to compete a little bit more. This is probably going to be their team. I do think that Luol Deng, his value can be rehabilitated a little bit. And, and there is talk. Another interesting thing about this Paul George offer is that both Randall and Russell uh, were Aaron Mint's clients, and that apparently did not prevent uh, Russell from getting traded away. So the idea that all those guys wanted to play together, people were like, "Oh, well, Russell and and Randall, like they all are going to want to play with Paul George." Well, uh, Russell's gone now, so I wouldn't say that like that's some impediment to like they have to keep Randall around either. Uh, but I would like to see what Julius Randall can do, and maybe he even is someone who could get moved at the trade deadline because I think he could be primed for a bigger year now with Lonzo Ball getting him the ball and then. Brooke Lopez to space the floor for him to run some pick and roll or do his isos where he really he, he also has not played with a space floor and, and Lopez I and mean, they're going to be atrocious again defensively uh, but uh, Lopez what he did spacing the floor was a big problem for a lot of opposing centers last year in Brooklyn something else I've been running around for the last couple hours is the idea of how theoretically and of course that's as far as we can go right now Brandon Ingram and Lonzo Ball would fit with a theoretical Paul George LeBron James combination because because that one through four, you get some switchability in that. You don't necessarily, we'll have to see how the shooting works out, but it would be a very different Lakers team than what we've seen recently. Absolutely. And, and if LeBron comes, you could always just trade Lonzo for someone who's further along as well, potentially. But, but you, Ball you know, does I seem like, like Lonzo a nice off fit. Ball. I mean, I think, yeah, I yeah, think he, he seems can like work. a nice fit. Yeah, I think, I think that combination works well. And then they'll have to figure out centers, but a lot of these teams do. One other thing I want to mention with the Nets, it's a small trivial thing, but I just find it amusing. First of all, Brook Lopez is their all franchise all-time leader in scoring, which is pretty amazing. Long-time franchise. This isn't just like, oh, they just were expansion in Brooklyn. I mean, think back to all the stuff that they've done. Second, Rondé Hollis-Jefferson is now the longest tenured net. He was drafted less than two years ago. It's incredible. Yeah, and Brook Lopez has had an underrated career. He has. He's someone who, maybe if they'd had a little more success, like might have gotten his number retired eventually by the Nets. But he is from California, so he can't be too upset about this, I suppose. And we'll see whether he could really fit into their long-term plans or not i mean they'll, they'll have to renounce his cap hold obviously to get to their max space but maybe if they strike out on some of their free agent targets they could look to bring him back in the summer of oh, 2018 i just well. thought of an idea he could pull the money because they'll have full bird rights if they really wanted to where he could sign for a really low amount and then they'd have full bird rights and they could pay him the next year yeah no that's a that's a possibility it certainly would be a little uh a little suspicious especially for a guy in the prime of his career but you know maybe he could sign for you know 10 million or something like that uh and so now we'll see what, what ends up happening with paul george i still don't think that they necessarily have the ammo to get him now and then maybe at the trade deadline they could have something but yeah if i'm the pacers 
I'll just hold on to him and see whether he makes all NBA and I can offer him the supermax instead or try and get something better at the trade deadline or wait wait for better offers I mean it just there's talk that Kevin Pritchard wants to get this over with by the draft but if that's the best offer like fine <laughs> it's just it's not good not good enough for me um I, I am in firm agreement with you. This just wait, wait for something better. All right, let's hit a couple of small ones here before we get to this other big trade. Uh, Chris Haynes reporting that the Clippers are looking for potential DeAndre Jordan trades. This is something that I actually thought that they should have looked at around this time last year because Jordan, I think, while he is an excellent player, is a little bit overrated to me league wide. And then he also, his skills are more replaceable than either Paul's or Griffin's. And so maybe if they could have gotten some wings and then maybe you know, a, a good 3 and D wing and someone who could be more of a stopgap at center that they might have actually been a better team. But now they're looking to trade him. He's only got one year left on his deal, though. The, the article by Chris was saying that they're talking about the Suns maybe for Tyson Chandler, which is bad salary and the number four pick. Wouldn't do that deal if I were the Suns with him only having one year left on, on his contract. Even if you do, were able to get off a of Chandler's bad salary, which is $13 million a year for the next two years. What else do we have here in kind of little things oh yeah uh mark spears reporting that the timberals have waived nikola pekovic the expectation is that he will be granted they will be granted a long-term injury exclusion for him it's unclear whether that will be under the old cba rules or under the new one with the fitness to play panel but either way he hasn't played in so long you would expect that uh, that would be granted and relatively quickly and our projections for the wolves have always indicated that he would just come off the books with his about 11 million dollar salary yeah, I, I mean, so we'll have to see how it works out. I thought the timing on this was fascinating just because we're kind of in this weird no man's land. They, there does not appear that there was a separate agreement like for Chris Bosch, but I, I am assuming they're going to be off. A couple other quick things. Dwayne Wade said that he is going to, he told the Bulls that he is going to opt in. That is not a surprise because he wasn't going to get that kind of money on the market. There was some, I, I had thought that maybe if they traded Jimmy Butler, maybe he'd just say screw it, but he's he's opting in. And then in another significant piece of news, well, how the soul let me say something on that too uh joe collie had reported that oh if they traded butler maybe he wouldn't opt in uh, joe collie is the least reliable reporter beat reporter for a major newspaper so uh don't don't trust what he said <laughs> uh and he also collie also reporting that uh butler really wanted to go to cleveland which then was refuted by more reputable re- reporters later on as well all right so you, you're getting into former bull pal gasol and his player option right so pal gasol which it had been speculated for a while that he was going to opt in to hit to the second year that was a two-year deal he is reportedly going to opt out and it is with the intention of signing a longer term deal with the san antonio spurs yeah evoking what richard jefferson did i believe in the summer of 2010 where he opted out of what was a pretty big player option on the end of what had been a maximum extension that he signed with the nets before going to the bucks and then the spurs but this kind of evokes that you'd think that this is going to give them some more Space. who knows what he'll resign for he could do it would be a candidate maybe for the manu as well but with gasol opting out and you have to imagine that a certain amount of this has to be reserved for him still but they could even you know give him something like the room exception and then sign him more again it seems like they're the spurs are do well here with the amount of trust that they can engender on these so now the spurs 
could get to they're at 15.5 million in space now you dump patty mills cap hold you get to 21 million in space that's still 14 million short of what they would need for chris paul but then if they were able to move on from tony parker you're there with the uh the 35 million basically that you would need for chris paul now that's easier said than done he's a franchise icon he's stated an intention to return in january just stretching him which would get you to about 30 million and then if they dump like kyle anderson they could they could kind of start getting a little close uh move move their first round pick etc etc they could could get close to 35 million again it's I'm still a little skeptical that they can quite get to the 35 million, but uh, with this Parker issue, but they're a lot closer now than they were before. And that's, uh, that's obviously huge. I wonder what the number is going to be, especially because we had talked about the high ceiling that the Spurs have in 2018 and Pau Gasol is a talented player. But as you look forward for the Spurs, if they're going to be a title contender, his role in their success at that point is going to be smaller and smaller. Yeah. And this does presumably is going to sign a longer term deal. That's going to take some of the emphasis off 2018, but they still have so much space there anyway, uh, and put it onto this year. And it doesn't necessarily mean they have to get Chris Paul either. You know, they could get into the market for, you know, the Drew Holiday, George Hill, Jeff Teague type of guy or Kyle Lowry, uh, although he's that seems a little less likely to me Danilo Gallinari could be a guy that they might look at uh or even just to get a couple more kind of lower end wings as well so just to make themselves I mean because they have with Kawhi Leonard and Danny Green and I think LaMarcus is okay guys who would be pretty decent against the Warriors it's just that you then don't have the right players around them too many bigs not enough versatile wings and you need someone else who can do something off the dribble so if they could fill in different guys around them then maybe they compete a lot better and I do think maybe to some extent the fact that they played so well in that one game against the Warriors before Kawhi got hurt might be a little bit of fool's gold because the Warriors just were awful in that game and the Spurs were hitting some unsustainable shots and you know I wouldn't say like oh yeah like we really were right there with them just because of that one game uh because I mean I think they still had significant matchup problems but if they can fix some of those you know maybe they they can compete a lot better with the Warriors because they do have some guys that the Warriors uh don't match up against spectacularly you ready to move on to the other co-main event uh Aaron Baines opting out? Yeah. Well, I mean, that's a good example of why agents make their money because players with really tough option decisions, Greg Monroe is going to be another one of these. Presumably they're doing so on their agent's advice saying you can get more money, maybe not more money per year, but more guaranteed money overall. You can choose your situation because those are incredibly important. Those are the decisions that matter more than in many ways than like a max guy or something like that. Yeah. Baines was due 6.5 million. He is now opted out of that as Stan Van Gundy predicted and part of his rationale for signing Boban was that he thought that Baines would opt out and that they wouldn't be able to afford him under the tax. We'll see how Baines does. I mean, I think he could probably do better than $6.5 million in guaranteed money. I think he's 31 now. Uh, and he did play well by his standards last year. So we'll see. I mean, we know what we think about the center market. We know what we think about paying a lot for centers. I thought that he they was an overpay when they first got him. Uh, he exceeded my expectations and I still didn't think he was that good though. So that at least saves the the Pistons some cash with him opting out they are basically right at the cap without KCP and so if they end up having to max him out they're still a little bit over the tax but it'd be doable to get under it uh so that was a key for in the and they and they probably got to sign a few more guys but generally that it should be doable now uh, that he has opted out now are we ready <laughs> 
Yes, Miles Plumley has been involved in three of the most absolutely inexplicable transactions of recent NBA history, all within the last year. I can't believe Miles Plumley has been involved in three F transactions, three that I would give and been on the receiving end of all of them. But so I think that where I want to start with this, so for the basic components, Miles Plumley, Marco Bellinelli, and the 41st overall pick for bearing the lead alert, Dwight Howard, and the 31st pick in the draft. So there was some speculation or commenting on Twitter and all that about how this was a salary dump trade for the Hawks. That is a blatant misconception of what this was because if this was a salary dump, nobody told Miles Plumlee's contract that because Miles Plumlee only makes (laughs) 10 million less than Dwight Howard does over an extra year. But so it's, I think it's 37 versus 47, something in that that realm. So it's not a salary dump. It is a salary adjustment because his money is less per year. They also added Marco Bellinelli, who makes about six. And as much as people want to kill Dwight Howard because he did look like a statue in pick and roll defense, particularly against John Wall, Miles Plumlee was much worse, much, much worse. And yeah. that, that was yeah. my biggest frustration with this trade is that it's not a salary dump. If it had been a salary dump, I kind of would have understood it. I mean, we've talked about how the the center market is oversaturated. That's not true here. And that's why it's an F. Well, especially because they had to move down from 31 to 41 in the draft too. Like I, that's a big downgrade to me. That 10 pick downgrade. 31 is a very valuable pick that's kind of your first chance to get into the draft and stash guys although the international crop is not as impressive this year I mean, what this clearly says to me is that Travis Schlank, everyone hated Dwight there and they just had to get rid of him. You know, it was one of those things. It kind of reminds me almost of the Josh Smith trade with Stan Van Gundy, or I'm sorry, not trade, but the Josh Smith wave and stretch with Stan Van Gundy. And it could be that Howard is just totally done. I mean, I thought he was effective. He was part of a pretty darn good defense most of the year last year, kind of wore down, it looked like, and was, was slow and his back seemed to be bothering him by the end of the season and as you mentioned in the playoffs so maybe you know they're just like hey this guy's killing our culture we already got Schroeder's kind of tough to deal with everyone is miserable with this guy like let we got to just get rid of him and perhaps they attempted to do so and you know Dwight just has no value around the league because he's viewed as you know this former superstar with a big ego and he's toxic and he's annoying but KP said this and I think I probably agree I would have rather just told Dwight to go home for two years than made this trade I would have as well. And even if you do it for one year and then stretch them after next year, then that would have been a better a better yeah, use or, of it. Or buy them out or, you know, you've got some options as well. Whereas, I mean, just taking on an extra $12.5 million three years from now, I mean, that's just like, that. that's so difficult to, to me to, to understand. And now they do open up about $3.4 million in space more for this year. And they also open up about $10 million more in space next year. But then they have, you know, 12.5 less because uh, that's what Plumlee is making uh, for the 2019-20 season. And, and of course, there's that that downgrade in the draft. I, I mean, I don't think that they're saying that like Plumlee is going to be their starting center now. I and mean, they, they have no other centers on the roster, really. They'll, Mike Muscala is a free agent. They have full bird rights on him. He has a minimum cap hold, which is nice. But, you know, obviously he can go anywhere. They'll have to pay him. I think Muscala is way better than Plumlee. You believe, do you agree with me on that? Yes, absolutely. Yeah, and remember, Miles Ma- Ma- Plumlee is turning 20. He's turning 29 this offseason. Oh, man. Every time he turns a year older, I'm like, man, that's really old. (laughs) Uh, So where does this leave the Hawks now? Bellinelli maybe can help them a little bit, although they have plenty of guys on the wing that they want to develop. Maybe he's insurance if they don't bring back Tim Hardaway. But it's hard for me to think, uh, you know, especially with Schlenk's comments about Paul Millsap. Millsap is probably gone. I mean, it's hard for me to think that this team is going to be any good. They may not be off 
awful. You know, they probably going to get, you know, like the eighth pick or the ninth pick or something if they can't really add him. And they will have about 30 million in cap space to work with if Millsap moves on. And if they keep Millsap, they'll probably, you know, get like the 12th or 13th pick in the draft or, or something like that. But they've got like slightly more flexibility this year. Maybe they could move Bellinelli again. But, it, you know, I don't think Bellinelli really like changes the calculus of this deal he's got one year left on his deal uh at six million per right now that you remember bellinelli has been involved in some horrendous transactions as well if you kind of connect the dots on him he they the Kings signed him after making that cap clearing trade with sam hinky that now has led to the celtics having their unprotected 2019 pick and having the swap from three to five this year and then the hornets traded number 22 for one year of him uh after that so and now this he's part of this trade too it's just bringing so many things together and i think the other part of this that we should definitely talk about is the dwight howard component so dwight howard is going to a very good fit for him in steve clifford because steve clifford has been pretty steadfast in terms of his support of those more groundbound stable centers dwight howard can execute in that and yeah there might not there might be too many minutes in some ways for for howard and zeller like they might overlap a little bit but if you want to reduce howard's workload this is a wonderful way to execute that vision. Yeah, and Zeller has worn down, had a lot of muscle injuries and, and bruises and stuff to where you think, hey, maybe he's not capable of playing 33 minutes a game at center anyway, even though I think you would have to say Zeller is probably the more effective player as opposed to Dwight last year. But I think it will be nice for Dwight still has some gravity rolling to the basket. They've got Marvin Williams to play the four. Kaminsky can play as well. They've got some guys who can space the floor around him a little bit and, and they can get back to, I think... You know, especially because they play this conservative style where Dwight Howard can hang out under the rim, which is he's better at now. They control the glass. Maybe him being able to give them a little offensive rebounding for an offense challenge team might be something that would help a little bit. And we'll see what where he is at physically at the end of the year too. But I think this definitely makes Charlotte better. I think you know for 24 minutes a game they can get something out of Howard. Uh, Clifford, you know, is with him in Orlando. They have a good relationship, and so I think this makes the Hornets better. They were always, I think, going to be a team that was going to play better this year if they could just get a little bit more depth and this provides that without having to take on too much extra salary the one downside is now that they are only 8.5 million shy of the tax uh, by my projection depending you know that could change a little bit with some non-guarantees and stuff but uh, but and that includes them declining the team option on Ramon Sessions, which they'd have to do uh, by June 29th. He's due to make 6.3 million. I definitely would decline that, especially if the point guard market is starting to look more and more bloated, uh, which we have to talk about still. But it's uh, so now they may be limited from using their full mid level, or they can just go ahead and use it and then pay these guys salaries and just get under the tax at the deadline. Because as we said, Michael Jordan uh, will be paying the tax, I think, in a, a cold day in hell. Let's talk about that point guard market though unless you have anything else on this one before we move on no we can go to it yeah but in summary the hawks got worse players worse salary in my opinion and they uh got worse draft picks so yeah that's how you lose a trade in my opinion um so the biggest loser i think of this week first we had the sixers getting markel fultz then we had the nets getting d'angelo russell those were two of the teams that had cap space that were talked about as really needing a point guard and now you have the kings the the tea leaves seem to be lining up for them very likely to take De'Aaron Fox at number five and they might try to get a stopgap point guard too but they're not going to want to pay a ton for said player you know a four-year deal that's going to be 20 million a year you probably don't want to do that when you already got De'Aaron Fox waiting in the wings as your point guard of the future 
where are all these guys going to go now? I mean, Kyle Lowry, uh, there's a report from Bruce Arthur up in Toronto that the Raptors would not offer Lowry a five-year deal and that he has been restless, but he's also kind of prone to those sorts of, uh, of proclamations that Arthur noted. But it doesn't seem anywhere now, maybe Minnesota, that would be interested in paying Kyle Lowry this huge deal. Uh, you know, maybe sh- I think Chicago, that might be one place that's going to open up. I mean, let me ask you this. If Chicago waived Rajon Rondo, by june 29th he's due 13 million next year would anybody claim him would you rather have him as the kings than some of the other maybe but i don't i don't think so I, do they really does the kings want to go on the rondo experience again i mean maybe, maybe one of these teams that has you know a young point guard if they feel like oh rondo can really mentor him or something i don't know where where his reputation is in that regard after all the hijinks of the last few years well, but supposedly the young guys in chicago loved him something else that i think is almost as important as the element that you said before of, of the closing of markets is the opening up potentially of other point guards because Jeremy Lin now could be on the market. Be, he has a, basically a one-year expiring contract. That looks a lot better to me than somebody like Darren Collison, you know, somebody who's more in the kind of fringe starter backup role. And Eric Bledsoe, you know, could very well be on the move. Jeff Teague now, I think that the rumors around Paul George make it a lot less likely that he, he should go back to Indiana unless he takes a huge discount. So you're all you're you're changing the demand and you're changing the supply and that's a big big problem for all these guys. Yeah, there's also talk that Pat Beverly could get moved as well as mm-hmm. the Rockets try to. They're always some machination. Pat actually tweeted a response to someone like who was saying he should come home to Chicago. Like, yeah, that'd be great. Uh, because that was the, a brief rumor. And in Chicago, Chicago again. I mean, I think whether it's Lowry who Jimmy Butler supposedly was trying to convince Lowry to come to Chicago, the space for that is a little bit questionable if they moved on from rondo again we talked about this the other day the bulls would have yeah i mean they could probably get there they could get to 27 million in space if they dump rondo and and dump miritich rondo is three million guaranteed but if somebody either claimed him off of waivers or they stretched him uh, you know, they could get to uh, pretty good money there. Uh, that might be a, a enough for one of these guys. It's just a question of whether they want to commit that long-term money. But, you know, Butler supposedly saying he wants to stay in Chicago and with Wade. And if you had a point guard who could shoot and was pretty good, like maybe Chicago could kind of get back into the mix a little bit in the East. Yeah, I'll, it's just going to be so fascinating to see what happens with all these point guards now. Uh, so, but now San Antonio maybe is a team that could have some money for point guards as well. So some doors are opening as some others are closing but the straight up max offers those those offers uh those doors seem to be closing yeah i would say that's that's a big takeaway from this past week too and we'll see also you mentioned you mentioned the kings with a pick but i mean also dallas and numerous other teams could draft point guards as well and maybe that doesn't eliminate their ability to pay but it definitely reduces their enthusiasm for it all right a few more quick hitters uh mike scotto of basketball insiders reporting uh, that langston galloway will decline his player option with sacramento he was due a fair amount, actually, $5.4 million. The reason he's doing that, as was noted by Albert Namad on Twitter, is that his qualifying offer is going to be really high. It's going to be about $6.5 million. So it makes sense that he either can accept that qualifying offer and increase his salary by $1.1 million, or if the Kings don't make him that offer, then he can go out onto the market and be an unrestricted free agent. I think he just wants to get out of Sacramento. I don't know if he's going to get that much, frankly, uh, which I, mean, I think he can play, but he's just he's not a point 
point guard. He's kind of, you know, a third guard and didn't really do much in Sacramento or New Orleans last year. And he's also going to just be a restricted free agent right. now. Yeah, uh, his cap hold will be, yeah, go ahead. He's only has three years of experience, so he yeah. will be a restricted free agent. Yeah, and so his cap hold will be $6.2 million. Maybe the Kings bring him back, but they also have a billion shooting guards on their roster right now. But Buddy Heald is their uh, Garrett Temple in particular guys who are going to play they have ben mclemore as a restricted free agent as well galloway can't really play the point so i don't know we'll see whether that ends up being a good idea or not but i think he just wanted to get out of sacramento frankly uh which uh not the first person to come to that conclusion and for the kings without him now they are at 54 million in space assuming that they also move on from Aaron Aflalo and actually no I'm sorry 53 million because as we reported they did not stretch uh, Anthony Tolliver uh, and Aflalo you'd have to imagine they wouldn't stretch him either he, he's 1.5 million guaranteed but they don't have to decide on that until the day after the draft uh, which will be very soon that's like three days from now so we'll, we'll see what they decide there probably will decide to move on from him as well uh, from Shams Sharania uh, OG Ananubi, who was not invited to the green room initially, which is the top 20 projected picks or so, now in fact has been invited, which uh, is good news for him. You know, I think he's someone who could go in the teens potentially, and this this would indicate maybe that, that that could happen. Let's talk a little bit more about some of the other details that emerged with the David Griffin fire. We mentioned LeBron's tweet saying, if nobody else appreciated you, Griff, I did. Uh, it was uh, reports indicated that Jason Lloyd of the Athletic Cleveland said that he, David Griffin, actually did interview with the Magic in phoenix during the playoffs but then that was clarified by windhorst and dave McMenamin that he just met with an intermediary of the magic briefly and that those didn't actually go anywhere because dan gilbert did deny permission he he the hawks asked for permission and he did deny it so it doesn't really seem like he had much of a chance to get another job also more reporting indicating that it was in fact about money griffin had been making about two million a year which is and that also wanted more power in the organization and that that gilbert was not interested in that and uh, kobe altman now is uh the assistant gm is taking over the day-to-day but gilbert uh, already met today with chauncey billups in detroit and uh you know better get him in soon you know it's uh two days before the draft but he could bring in justin zanuck under him who has been working on the draft board for the milwaukee bucks <laughs> all right last one finally Kristaps porzingis r- rumored to be available it was reported by ian begley that he has not had any contact whatsoever with the organization since the end of the season including blowing off his exit meeting his brother was quoted as saying he still wants to stay in new york despite the way the knicks treat their players (laughs) (laughs) which is spectacular uh and but it does seem to have been a little bit of just tree shaking here because Sam Amick and others reporting that the Knicks asking price was very aggressive. I think that trading Porzingis to me is actually not as crazy as some people think because I think there is a possibility, especially if he's going to have to play in the triangle for probably another crappy point guardless team and not be used at center and not get to play pick and pop and have to play with Joe Kim and all this stuff that he his trade value could go down. Maybe he fails to develop remember he's worn down at the end of both of the these first two seasons after like starting off like gangbusters and so maybe he won't be viewed as a future superstar after this season that said i don't think there's anyone in this draft that i would trade him for other than marco fultz and that's really where the rubber meets the road and it's it's such a challenge to to figure out a trade for porzingis specifically a he's cheap so batching salary is complicated and the knicks don't necessarily want to give it their cap space and because he's pretty close to unique i mean
mean, as, as much as like the I, there was that reporting that was out there that, oh, they're thinking about Lowry Markkinen as a Porzingis replacement. Those guys are different players, especially in terms of their defensive capabilities. And so I don't expect that we will see something, but you're right that he should not be completely untouchable. He should just be reluctantly touchable. I, I really want to end the segment on that. I will think of a that. better word for that later, but I have not thought of it now. Yeah, I really want to end the segment on that. But unfortunately, we have a couple more things. One is that Josh Jackson, who has been reported to be the apple of Danny Ainge's eye, has not worked out in Boston and more importantly, has not even shared medical records with Boston. Now it's possible that Boston could just get that through relationships that they have with other teams. But, you know, the Lakers, that would be the Lakers, Philly and Phoenix, with whom, you know, Phoenix might want Josh Jackson at four. So they have no incentive to give Boston the, the medical records. BJ Armstrong, of course, is Josh Jackson's agent. What do you think of this idea that like Josh Jackson wouldn't want to go to Boston? There was some talk that Jackson would go if Boston warranted that they were going to keep the pick and that Jackson was their guy at three. But uh, what do you think of that decision? Is that a good decision by BJ Armstrong, his agent? It's certainly defensible because being buried on a good team is always challenging. And, and yeah, you can get some shine like if they move players above him because a lot of the guys that Boston is rumored to be interested in not only who they have on the roster but more importantly who they're interested in directly conflict with Josh Jackson in some way shape or form so if they get Gordon Hayward yeah if they get Jimmy Butler he's gonna get buried a little bit and that could really matter I mean he could be fourth on their small forward depth chart they could have Jay Crowder Gordon Hayward Jalen Braun who I think is better than Jackson although I'm sure Jackson doesn't see it that way and then Josh Jackson right and then Marcus Smart plays a bunch at the three for them too he'll probably still be around so it's really yeah i totally understand not wanting to go there because uh, frankly yeah winning is great it's a lot easier to be all about winning once you've established your career right once you've actually proven that you're a good player in the league and for rookies it's much easier to make a name for yourself on a bad team you know phoenix he probably could come in and potentially start at the three maybe tj warren could move to the four he'd have kind of a run and gun style where he'd have a, a chance to thrive potentially or even Sacramento he probably would rather even go to Sacramento frankly you know to to have the ability to come in and start right away I think teams are right to feel a little bit cautious or, or agents are a little bit right to feel a little bit cautious when he saw what happened to Jalen Brown last year I mean Jalen Brown I actually was watching like his top 50 highlights and like there are some just absolute wow plays on that highlight reel but he just didn't play that much you know he didn't have a chance to have the ball in his hands he probably ran five pick and rolls all year and so Jalen might be a better player in the long term maybe you won't maybe he would have been better if he'd been able to get more of the keys to the offense but I understand why Josh Jackson and BJ Armstrong might feel that way and while this came right on the heels of David Kahn's crocodile tears piece about how Steph Curry and the Curry family didn't want, he didn't want to work out there. I will note that he also didn't work out for the Warriors and they picked him and things worked out okay, that there are other reasons in certain yeah, circumstances. It's the medical, the medical is the big problem. Exactly. And so that information is incredibly important. And sometimes players and agents will use that to put their guy in the best situation. And that is why you have an agent and that's why you hope they give you good advice. And I got no problems with any player doing that like the draft kind of screws over college players right there's why should you have to go to some team that you don't want to go to if you can control that process in any way i mean i'm really surprised that we've never really heard of just a straight out trade demand from a draftee since like steve francis in vancouver way back in i think that was the 99 draft that was the last time that we saw someone do that and, and then he got to houston it worked right like i mean maybe and Kobe's there's just worked this too. fear 
Yeah. Yeah. I mean, maybe there's just this fear that it's like you're just so toxic by doing that or like that it just really kills your perception. But but remember, I mean, I would, that's, it's a long time until those guys get to be free agents again. I think that the the the, ten, the reluctance to do that, it's forgetting that it's a four year time. And if a player is good enough, their teams are always going to sacrifice for that. Yeah. I mean, and now with the, the designated player veteran extension, it's like over 10 years now that you could be locked in if you want to make the most money with a certain team, unless you can engineer a trade i mean and if i were porzingis you know i would probably be thinking about demanding a trade from new york i mean i guess there's just being in new york it makes it a little different if i were on an equivalent level of team i would definitely be thinking about a trade demand at this point but anyway that's uh, that's probably enough on that but you you have to imagine that this increases the likelihood that jason tatum would be their guy at three that's who draft express is mocked at number three at this point last thing before we get to mike schmitz dunked on merchandise is available i just posted about it it's there's a link to it on the website nateduncannba.com but i just tweeted about it during the day and a lot of the stuff is sold out already we're actually sold out of medium and large t-shirts already it's pretty sweet though it has the dunk on logo on the front and like a little cap space uh, wording in small letters at the top of, on the back and the, the mugs as well there's only three of them left as the last time I looked they might even be gone now so but we're gonna get definitely get more of those you can still check them out if you want to buy someone thanks to everyone who bought one too by the way that's uh it's cool you guys are so fired up for it and uh I think like they sold out so quickly that I don't think even I'm gonna be able to get any from this first shipment for myself and my family so we're gonna try and get some more out there ASAP so thanks a lot for supporting the show with those and without further ado now let's get to Mike Schmidt. Uh, this is always one of my favorite pods of the year. I really enjoy talking to Mike Schmitz. We've known each other for a while now. I think we first met actually maybe in like 2012 at the Euro Camp. Mike, is that is that right? Is that sound, I think that would you yeah, have been either, there for that? Either there or it might have been Adidas Nations. I'm trying to. It was, it was one of the two. Um, but yeah, it's it's been it's been fun, man. I'm glad I'm glad to be back. So let, let's start with this Philly and Boston trade. It seems like Danny Ainge seems to believe that you know, either Jason Tatum or Josh, Josh Jackson, you guys have Tatum mocked at number three right now to the Celtics. A lot of other people are assuming that that's Jackson, that he is, that those two guys are basically kind of in the same league as Marco Fultz. Do you agree with Ainge's assessment? Um, I, I, well, I, I definitely, it's clear that they think that, but for me, no, I think Fultz is to me kind of in a tier of his own in this draft. Um, to me, he's been the number one prospect all year long, you know, even in the preseason, um, you know, obviously there are some concerns, you know, the, the lack of winning and, and the defensive fire and things like that. But, um, to me, Markel Fultz is, is a much better prospect than, than both of those guys. Yeah. I uh, personally, I, when I did my scouting reports, I have been totally unimpressed with both Tatum and Jackson and neither of them seem to go very well by the analytics either. But I, I came to that conclusion before even knowing what the analytics were. Right. Um, but let's, uh, the, one of the reports out of Boston was, was that Fultz's workout didn't go that well, that they were disappointed that he wasn't as explosive as they had hoped. Do you think, like, is that a, a, re a reasonable criticism of Fultz? It wouldn't, you know, it wouldn't surprise me. Um, I've never thought that Fultz isn't like a dunk contest type of athlete. Right. I've always seen him as a very unique athlete. Um, and he's also not really a workout guy. Like, I've seen him, you know, in pregame, just kind of,
kind of messing around, clanking jumpers left and right, and then get into a game and hit three hezzy pull-up threes in a row. You know, like he he's just that's not really who he is. Um, I think where his athleticism is really useful is in ball screens, is his ability to change directions really explosively. He's got these long strides. So like, sure, if you put him in a one and a workout and you want him to go, you know, dunk like DJ Steffens or something like I, he's not going to do that. Yeah, I, I agree. And who knows whether that's actually the reason or not. You never know. There's right. so much subterfuge at this time. But that was one thing that was mentioned. Yeah, and I don't think of him as like some nuclear athlete either. I mean, what strikes me about him, he has just this very unique style of movement where he kind of mm. bounces in and out of his moves. Like he'll kind of like rise up and you don't know what he's going to do. He has a lot of options out there. Like he can cross you over. He can cross you over and then do a hesitation and drive. But he's always, he can go to a spin move. But like once he kind of pops up like that, you're like, oh man, this guy is, he's about to do something special. I, I can't remember anyone else I've seen who has like that kind of a unique style to him. Yeah, I, I was doing, uh, you know, some of this comparison. I've been watching a lot of, you know, tape on, uh, you know, old guards kind of of his ilk um, and, and what they looked like in college and obviously different, you know, all these guys are different. There's no direct comparisons, but I, I had a lot of trouble finding guys. I couldn't really find anyone who played like his style, the, you know, what you're talking about with that, like high to low, you know, slow to fat, like everything is off of that, like hesitation, hang dribble. And I think when you can shoot it off the bounce like that, and then you can play off that with, with his, you know, unique athleticism we talked about about like that's really tough to stop so you mentioned the shooting and that that probably is my biggest concern I guess I would say I have two concerns about it the first one is the, the shooting you mentioned that you know he can kind of look casual and you know the reports were even that he didn't shoot that well and that kind of cursory Philly workout that he did but and he doesn't shoot that well from the free throw line either and I don't remember thinking of him when I saw him at, at uh, Hoop Summit or even in the U18s that he was like a, an amazing shooter he didn't come in with the reputation of someone you thought all right this guy's gonna shoot 41 percent on some pretty difficult attempts at washington how real is his shooting especially with you know that 65 percent free throw shooting yeah i think he's gonna have some ups and downs for sure um you know earlier on in his career that was really his biggest question uh you know at the high school level um was just not a great shooter but to me he's a shot maker he's one of these tough shot makers who's really comfortable with a hand in his face who's really comfortable after a step back um you know I, I think he's more comfortable like in a in a ball screen step back situation than he is you know wide open on the wing in a catch and shoot situation I don't know if you know that's a mental thing maybe that that you can see that with the free throw percentage a little bit um but in terms of being like an off the ball sniper um you know his shot is a little bit slow I think from a catch and shoot standpoint um so I think the NBA line will be a little bit of an adjustment for him but um you know not to the point where he's like a sub 30s guy in my opinion um but it's gonna it's gonna take him some time but you know he's so dangerous with the ball and he can do, do so many things he's gonna make enough shots off the dribble I think yeah, it does seem like Philly, a big part of the appeal in trading up, and I think that this makes sense, was to have, you needed, you know, Ben Simmons can't be your only ball handler who can do something off a of pick and roll, but they also needed someone who could shoot the ball and do that at the same time, and there really were not that many people. And then, of course, Tatum and Jackson, who projected to be the guys available at three that they would be looking at, didn't seem like they were going to be that great of a fit with Simmons and Embiid already. So I think part of why I liked the trade for them was that they moved up 
for a pick that if they used it kind of wouldn't really be worth as much to them as it might have been for some other teams. Yeah, I think it makes a lot of sense. Um, you know, okay, maybe we would like Fultz to be, you know, a knockdown catch and shoot guy right away, but um, he's pretty close to a, you know, as well-rounded of a prospect that you can have. And um, with a guy like Simmons uh, in an MB, the whole dynamic, I think it's, I think it's a great fit. My other concern about him, and I, I don't want to say this is a major concern, is that I was not that impressed with his finishing. Now, you, your videos and the film shows that he. Has- has some very impressive finishes where he can kind of bounce off guys get some extension finish with touch but I also there are a lot of times where he would just go in for a layup and you'd be like all right he's gonna make this you know he got open this is gonna be a good shot and then he would just miss it did you notice that at all yeah I think a little bit um I think a little bit there were some times he missed missed some bunnies um but you know I, I don't really worry too much about it I think he has uh you know right hand he has left hand he's willing to take contact um he has pretty soft touch on his floaters so maybe there is some fine-tuning in terms of you know maintaining his concentration um, versus length and through contact but um, to me I, I don't think it'll be an issue for him so let's say if he's going to not become an all-star let's say you know he just becomes a starter or, or something like that if he doesn't reach the potential that you and I both see for him why does that happen like what is the way that he fails if it does happen I think if he doesn't shoot it well I think a lot of his game is pretty predicated on his jumper he took a lot of tough shots at Washington he he tends to live by tough shots um and maybe a little bit more than than you would like so I think if he doesn't you know if that 65 percent from the line is kind of indicative um of of you know some potential struggles moving forward uh then he there's a chance he's kind of an inefficient volume guy um especially when he's not this you know knockdown shooter off the catch I think they you know the defensive side of the ball also is going to be um, a challenge for him initially, not because of the tools, um, just because, I mean, he has some bad habits, you know, not not just uh, within himself, but, you know, the situation at Washington, there was very, very little discipline there. Um, so I think that's going to be an adjustment. But for me, I think if the shooting is not what we think it is, then it's going to be tough for him. Yeah, I thought his defense was about as bad as I've like ever seen from a guard mm-hmm. prospect, like in, in terms of effort. And you noted, of course, you know, he gets s- some steals and blocks. You know, he does the chase down blocks. I mean, I think he can be effective as a help defender, but he just, you know, if he was going to go to Boston, like I think he would have played like 15 minutes a game or like 20 minutes a game. And, and some of those would have been entitlement minutes. Like I don't think from a defensive standpoint and maybe from a shooting standpoint that he's ready at all to contribute to to winning basketball right now. But that's, you know, not now in Philly, he's going to have have a chance to just start and and have some growing pains and he doesn't have to be on the ball all the time because Simmons can do that too but there's a chance for him to get some leash but maybe not quite so much that that he's going to hang himself um yeah yeah, I, th- I thought that uh, if he were to end up, you know, in Boston, uh, it would have, if you know, for his personal growth, it would have been really good just yeah. because he's going to be in a situation where he's challenged. He's not going to play if he doesn't defend. He's around, you know, tough-minded guys who aren't going to let that happen. And then obviously, you know, a guy like Brad Stevens, you know, one of the, one of the better young coaches in the NBA. So, um, I, you know, for his personal maximization of his potential, I thought that would have been a great spot. But but, um, you know, Philly can't complain with that young nucleus either. Last question on him. Where does he rank in the pantheon of how we felt about some of the other number one picks in the last 
10 years or so uh, coming into the draft like i, I mean uh, yeah so uh, where how do you if you're gonna look at some of these those number one picks where does he fall in there um okay so for me i mean i i prefer him i think he's a better prospect than simmons to me he would have i liked him number one um last year i think um in you know 2015 i think towns was clearly the guy you know looking back okay obviously you would say porzingis but i think he would have been in the conversation for number two there um yeah i like him know, better so. than porzingis even knowing what we know about porzingis now like is it because people are talking about you know these rumors today coming out with porzingis right. maybe you know being in trade rumors and i think i would probably rather have Fultz than porzingis that's my personal opinion yeah i mean i think he's a number one pick for you know maybe the uh, at least half of the last five or six drafts i would say yeah you know so he's right up there for me yeah i mean i would say you know he's probably i didn't think i mean if Embiid were had been healthy in 2014 i would probably would right. have put him over him but I, I think i like Fultz better than i would have liked andrew wiggins coming mm-hmm. out you know maybe uh, um obviously 2013 he would be there below anthony davis probably yeah you know, Kyrie for 2011 is kind of an interesting or, or yeah comparison john sure. wall like i would kind of put him in like that kind of a category of guys coming out maybe not at the like kevin durant or even greg odin who, who people forget was, was unbelievable you know but sort of along the lines of like derrick rose Kyrie irving uh john wall like those type of guys coming out i see him as kind of in that category yeah, I completely agree. Um, you know, of those we talked about, like you said, maybe Anthony Davis, maybe Carl Towns. Um, I, I don't think he's quite at that level of a prospect, but Kyrie, John Wall, I think he's right there with those guys for sure. So same question on Lonzo Ball now as Fultz. I mean, you did that awesome video. It was fascinating for me to see just because of Jason Kidd, like seeing that film of him and breaking yeah. it down to see like what kind of... A, a Hall of Fame point guard looked like in college back then, but a guy with you know somewhat similar body type, not entirely and you know similarly unique type of game. Although there obviously were differences, as you pointed out. What are the concerns about Ball first? Like same question. Like if he doesn't become the player that everyone hopes that he's going to be, like how does that happen? Yeah, I think I think the shot. You know, being able to be really successful in pick and roll. I think uh, not that he doesn't have an IQ you know I, I mean he he obviously has a great feel for the game um but he's just a different style of player so like if he doesn't have another guy next to him I think that can create out of ball screens especially to score um I just I, I worry about him a little bit scoring in the half court um he obviously has these you know crazy 30 foot step backs after switches and things like that but uh that's a tough way to live man and I, and I think it, yeah. he's gonna have trouble you know creating easy buckets for himself in the half court and you know like we've seen I mean that's what you want um, in a lead guard in a lot of ways is okay if it's you know the last two minutes or the last minute of a you know NBA finals game and you know the shot clock's winding down and, and it's a high ball screen like what can you do for me so that's the question I have about him yeah I think he, he's got to have good role men and he's got to have space to work i think that that's right i think danny and i have been talking on the show he's made the comparison to ricky rubio which i think is an interesting one but if you think of him as a ricky rubio who can actually like dunk and finish reasonably well at the rim and and then shoot the ball on spot ups and you know if the defense goes under especially if he's going to his left you know but if you think about him as you know rubio is not a guy you know he kind of likes to just 
come straight off a screen and maybe he'll even, you know, midget dribble under the rim, even if he doesn't have anything and then, you know, knows how to make all the passes. I think that's actually an interesting comparison. What do you think of that one? Yes. I've actually been saying that since the beginning of the year that that's his, to me, that's his floor. Nothing against, you know, Ricky Rubio, but um, similar in, in the, the ways that you described. And then also six foot six, you know, can spot shoot, can dunk at the rim, you know, has those advantages also. So uh, I think there is some, what of a blueprint there I, I just think he's going to be best you know with somebody who's really proficient as a as a scorer out of ball screens and like you said with space because you know I, I think with the way he plays like there there might not be that many situations like that that we talk about it, it at least until late game because he is moving the ball and he wants the ball moving and the fact that he can spot shoot you know he can play off of closeouts he's really instinctual he's a quick decision maker so if he gets in a situation where there are other guys who think the game at least at a decent level and the ball is moving, um, you know, he I don't think he'll run into those issues as often. He's also an unbelievable cutter. Like he's one of the yes. best cutters that I can recall seeing at the college level for a freshman. Yes. He, I mean, his basketball instincts just in general, you know, the guy sees things, it sounds cliche, but he sees things a step ahead. Um, and he can, you know, on those cuts, he can rise up and catch a lob. You know, that's, he, he's actually a much better athlete, I think, than he showed um, at the high school level. I don't know if he's grown a little bit, but um, yeah, I mean, all the little things, like the ways he impacts impacts the game um you know people kill him defensively also I think he needs to get better there but he's a very instinctual defender to me too um and and, you know doesn't have the body or the length of a Fultz and it's probably never going to be a stopper you know I think there are some questions there but in terms of like overall basketball instincts um I think he gives you a little bit of everything you know what's so interesting about him is a lot of the criticisms about him like people okay you worry about whether the shot is going to go in or you worry about his ability to finish at the rim you worry about iso when he's actually has done those things they actually like it looks pretty good and the numbers are pretty good it's just the sa- the sample size is kind of small right you know he shot the 70 percent from two-point range so when he gets to the room and he's, and he's judicious about his decisions to do that it looks good like the iso creating shots thing like he won both of those Oregon games by like creating ISO shots at the end of the, of the clock right so like the the few times that it seems like he's done that it's worked it's just you wonder about whether that's repeatable over the long term right right and I think this like as you mentioned the sample size is so small like I mean he's a guy who took you know far more threes than he did twos uh rarely ever got to the free throw line and then in our we you know have some stats on him um before he got to UCLA it's only 15 games not a huge sample but um you know some Adidas games some uh you know nation stuff and he's like 40 41 percent from two 39 or 29 percent from three so like he was never you know at least as far as I can remember even seeing him on his high school team he was never this efficiency monster at all um yeah I I, I was surprised you know I thought even watching like their preseason games and I believe it was Australia um he was he really, really struggled with all aspects of the game. So like, I think once things got moving and guys like, you know, TJ Leaf, I think was a big part of that, him having success, the floor being spaced, guys making shots, it all was almost a perfect storm. So I'm, I'm interested to see, you know, if, if that's going to happen at the NBA level. I mean, he's definitely not going to be a 73 from 2% guy. 
Yeah, I think going to the Lakers, I am definitely concerned about their lack of spacing at the big positions because I mm-hmm. think that while he was obviously instrumental in UCLA having the number one offense this year, he benefited immensely from the amount of shooting around him, having good role guys. Even someone like you know Thomas Walsh, who's able to like get open for that push shot, which was you know he yeah. shot like fifty five percent on those, so some ridiculous percentage on that. Uh, you know, having uh, uh, Ik who could go up and get an alley oop and then leaf spacing the floor you know when they would run that horn set run a pick and roll on one side leaf would just uh uh, move to the top of the key and and they had a lot of space on the floor so i do think if you're expecting him to play in a system with two traditional bigs like that is one way he could disappoint yes i i think absolutely i think um you know i like his fit a little bit with some of their young guys but in terms of i mean they they definitely need to find bigs who can shoot that's a major area of concern for them and and you know a lot of times one of the criticisms about Lonzo kind of going a different direction is um you know how like how is his style gonna fit in the NBA you know and like my thing is like isn't his style what people want you know don't people want to play fast don't people want the floor space don't people want you know a guy who can vertically space at the five like an EK so I um you know not the Lakers specifically but I I don't have any concerns about him fitting in the NBA it's just finding finding the right pieces in LA specifically you know with anyone they have but him especially they they need to get some bigs who can shoot I mean to me if his shot goes in he's going to be fine I don't I don't know that he's going to be a top five point guard in the league just because it's so hard to do that if you're not an elite scorer but I mm-hmm. think he's someone who is always like you know it's going to make his teammates better he'll space the floor but if if the shot doesn't go in then you know I could see him being like a major disappointment but how confident are you in in that shot at this point I'm pretty confident um yeah you know even when I saw it uh at the youth level you know he it's funny like you go watch go back and watch his games like he for as unselfish as he is he's always getting guys involved like he would pull up from 32 feet like no problem yeah. you know we're seeing it now with you know his little brothers and all that I mean, at YouTube. some point if you're taking those shots like you're taking them because you expect to make them right like if you get out in a pickup game like i'll be like if someone shoots from pretty deep like that and they miss their first shot i'm like yeah i'm gonna guard this guy out here next time anyway <laughs> right. because he he clearly like unless this guy's completely delusional he seems to think that he could make this shot so i better guard him out here like and i think he, he falls into that same category and he shot it well at, at ucla so i i think the free throw shooting is a concern but he's been shooting those shots for a long time and i guess you know the, it's going to be interesting to see whether people try to change his shooting for him as well i mean I, I heard that supposedly ucla tried to do that a little bit and that was part of his struggles on the australia trip and then yep. you know they said all right we're not doing that anymore and then he shot it fine during the year so yeah i really like him off the catch i think off the dribble he's gonna need he's gonna need to add a little bit more than that you know step back going left um but i mean he even showed you know going to his left he could sprint off a screen you know catch get it like with you know great footwork and get that thing off quickly so um yeah to your point i would rather have a guy who is confident in pulling up from 30 than a guy who's you know pissing his his pants as he catches on the right wing so yeah yeah and i think like he definitely he has to kind of change it a little bit but you saw on a couple of those twos like he was able to take you know shoot floaters and yeah. you know pull up like he kind of changed his shot a little bit when he pulled up for a jumper from the free throw line a couple of times but it's not impossible to me that he could actually get to the point where, where he can do that um yeah good yeah no i i agree with you um i think lonzo is a, you know okay maybe he's never a mvp type of candidate but he's a hell of a player man 
Yeah, so he would be number two uh, on your personal board. Yeah, yeah. Um, just and not so much like he's this you know transcendent guy. I just I'm not like you kind of mentioned earlier. I mean, I, I'm I like you know Josh Jackson. I like Jason Tatum. I think they'll be fine NBA players, but I'm not sold that they're stars either. Why does everyone think this draft is so incredible? Like I, the the <laughs> analytics haven't really shown that. I I mean, Marco Fultz is one guy that I'm like really high, and I think you know there you can get a lot of there are a lot of guys who I think are going to be quality players, but you know, I don't really see other than Dennis Smith maybe. And then, you know, maybe if Jackson can figure out the, the jump shot, but he's got a long way to go with a lot mm-hmm. of things to become like an elite scorer to me. And, and maybe like Jonathan Isaac, you know, could be a guy in that category, but he's got a long way to go with his one-on-one offense too. Like other than Smith, I don't see the the players who are like, oh, these guys are going to be like surefire superstars. Like someone sold Chad for like, oh yeah, I see. Like there could be six all-stars in this draft. Maybe I think even like Brian Colangelo said that in his press conference or something. Like I really, I don't see that at all. Like why do people think that? And uh, what am I missing if if you disagree with me? Um, I think it's I, I I don't think there are maybe total studs. I think it's just really solid throughout the top, and it's solid with one and dones. Um, so it's a yeah. lot of guys who like that high school class was really really highly touted. Um, you know that's it's that high school class has been hyped you know for for a few years now. Um, and while you know maybe none of these guys you know maybe there won't be six all stars in that top ten, but I think at the very least you're getting a lot of very good NBA starters. Um, then there's the guard element. Oh, all these explosive guards. You know, I think, I think that's an exciting part of it also. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'm with you in some ways. Like I'm not, I'm not sold that there are a bunch of superstars in this draft. I think that Fultz has superstar potential. Um, outside of him, I see a lot of guys who are really good NBA starters and potential all-stars. Um, but you know, I, I, I don't think it's, it's full of star power, more, more depth in my opinion. Let's talk about Josh Jackson now. I have said that I was kind of low on him when we did our scouting report that I think he's going to be a quality player. I think, you know, if you're talking about him in the six to 10 range, you know, as as a guy who can, you know, maybe if he figures it out with the jumper, he could be pretty good. But like, you know, even if he doesn't necessarily that he, you know, has enough athleticism and intensity and stuff to be, you know, a quality starter. But for me, my personal opinion is I like guys who I think have superstar potential. And while Jackson kind of physically, you know, he's an athletic wing, you think about him having that superstar potential i don't see that with him but but what is your overall take on josh jackson and the type of player that he can be especially when we're talking about him as a top five pick yeah i i I think he just checks a lot of different boxes and i buy what you know while the off the court stuff is not ideal i i buy his intensity i buy how he impacts winning um i i just really like all the different things that he brings to the table i really like that he can pass um and you know i think I think the the jumper is certainly a concern. Um, the mechanics are not pretty. You know, he didn't shoot it great in in pre draft workouts at some spots, whatever. But to me, like he's always made shots. He's always made shots at, to some degree. Um, you know, shoot it whether it's a small sample shooting thirty eight percent from three in that conference on on some tough shots. Um, I think you have to give that to him at least. And the the, the free throw concerns. Um, you know, given the way he shoots the ball are uh, not as Ty 
tied to like his outlook as a shooter for me, just because he's one of these guys who's very reliant on like upward momentum. Um, like he needs to get his legs into his shot. Um, it, and because of that, like he, he's solid, you know, shooting on the move. Um, whereas like when he's just set, which I think this will be the adjustment at the NBA line, uh, he struggles. And, and then the mental part, you know, comes into it as well. But, uh, overall, I think he's just, he's going to be at the worst case, you know, a really good role player who, who gives you at least something on both ends. But, um, I think his jumper is, is going to come along more, you know, than, than maybe people think. Yeah. I, I think we'll, we disagree on that one a little bit just because like the 3.3, three point attempts for 40 minutes. I mean, I think that to me is more indicative perhaps, which is, that's a pretty low number, uh, mm-hmm. for a guy who's, who's a wing. Now he did play more at the four. So maybe that's part of that, but they ran, but he had the ball in his hands plenty. They ran like a lot of dribble weave stuff. Like he had some, some opportunities there. So I like the indication that he just, you know, wasn't taking that many of those, uh, is a concern to me. Obviously the free throw percentage, uh, you know, most of the analytic translations say that it's not going to be that good. And then also like his form just looks so jacked up. Like he brings it in front of his body. Like he gets like that left hand seems to get really involved. I mean, uh, although correct me if I'm wrong, that's just my memory of it. But I, I think to me, like the upside for him, like the absolute best career that he could have would be like Andrea Guadalla, who of course is a wonderful player and would be worthy of a top five pick. But that's if everything goes absolutely right for him. And I also don't think he has quite the tools or athleticism of Andre, who was just like, you know, one of the best athletes we've ever seen coming out of school and has like, you know, over a seven foot wingspan. Uh, so yeah, I think he's going to be good. I just, I, I'm like, I'm just a little skeptical of taking him that high. I mean, would you, where would you have him on your personal board? Yeah. I mean, I have him at three and yeah. I've gone back and forth with him, you know, for a while, um, you know, him or Tatum or, and not to put, you know, too much value in, um, you know, winning or losing in college um but the guy just he just wins like he just makes winning plays he's tough as nails um he just finds a way to get stuff done and i i really like that i just i really like that he can pass i think he had some moments um you know at times throughout the year where he's playing out of a ball screen going through his left to his left and he'll throw a dart to the roll man or he'll he'll hit the the weak side guy circling up um and you know he i think he can play with the ball a little bit more than people think i think he he is a really explosive athlete. Um, you know, Iguodala is obviously a, a tremendous athlete as well. I think, you know, has an inch on him in terms of wingspan. Um, I think a better frame as well. Uh, but I, I think, t- you know, to your point, he's going to be uh, never a, a go-to guy in the half court. But I think he's going to impact the game in so many ways that he's really, really valuable. I do like the fact that he, like, he finds little ways to get points on the board, right? Like, he did have a 27% usage on a pretty loaded Kansas team he did benefit a lot as I said from playing at the four too right which, for you sure know, probably which I and I'm a little if if I felt like he could play at the four in the NBA that would like totally change my opinion of him and that's that's probably the biggest reason why I like Jonathan Isaac over him is because I think that Isaac you know which you've mentioned in your work as well just fits so well into the modern game in, in terms of like his ability to potentially even guard you know all five positions in a pinch he might be too skinny to, to ever play center but it, it's uh, I, mean, I, I like Isaac Locke, but the, the the guy who actually is number three on my board. And remember, when I do this, I'm looking only at the film. You know, I'm not considering injuries. I'm not considering character stuff because I just don't have access to that. You know, and I don't really know how to weight that stuff. It would be 
Dennis Smith. And so he's in your mock right now would be number nine. Where would you have Smith on your board? And why isn't he number three to you? Because my rationale for him being three is this guy pops on film more than like anybody else here. And I think has the greatest chance of being a superstar outside of the top two guys. Yeah, I think he has some definite upside for sure. Um, and like you said, if you throw in, you know, some possessions of him, like, you you know, the, he, he can do a lot of impressive stuff. He's explosive. Uh, he, he really improved as a shooter. Um, to me, it's just, it's a little bit of a tough sell uh, in terms of one, how he handled the situation, you know, at NC State, I, di- I didn't think was ideal. Um, it, you know, the, it was not a great situation for him though. You know, the staff got fired midway through the season um and but he he's just his effort to me um really on both sides of the ball really left me wanting more to me he's on eighth on my board um just because i i just have a lot of concerns about um you know the the overall fight that he has um you know the acl is one thing also um i think as a point guard he you know still has some room to improve he tends to you know either dribble the air out of it or, or kill it you know immediately against the hard hedge. So um, I don't know. I mean, I just, I, I see some red flags with, with the approach. Uh, I think he's a, I think he's a really good, I mean, not a really good kid. I think he's a fine kid who really wants to be good. Um, but there's just some disconnect there with him. Yeah. I mean, there was some weird stuff, like just even on film, you could like, there was one time, like in the middle of a defensive possession, like he turned and like started bitching to the bench about something like <laughs> it was like, right. uh, but I mean, did you, did any of those issues manifest for you at the lower levels in terms of like his demeanor and approach? I didn't recall seeing anything, but I don't watch for that stuff probably as closely as you do when, when we're seeing guys in person. Yeah. I mean, he was, you know, he was hurt for a lot of it. Yeah. So that, that was part of it, but I watched a lot of his AAU stuff stuff um and i thought the same i because he had this rep of being oh he's a dog he's a killer and i you know i didn't completely see that um especially on the defensive end i thought he was very lackadaisical um and i think it's one thing you know okay markel fultz is lackadaisical and that situation was was bad as well but you know he's six five with a six ten wingspan like dennis smith is six two six three with a six three wingspan you know and if he doesn't if he's not going to want to defend like um then he's just as valuable on that end as Luke Kennard, you know? So, um, I, I just, I, I had those concerns and I, you know, I went out there to see him and I, like I said, I think he's a, a tremendous talent and we, we might be nitpicking this and we might look back in, in two, three years and say, God, like, you know, how did we not see it? Um, but you know, headphones in his own shooting coach, you know, no interaction with, with any other teammates, um, and I, th- there's just something about that, that I, that I really don't like. And it's, and it's tough for me to, you know, kind of go all in on a, on a guy like that. I think I, I've maybe asked this question before, but he's someone who there, there's some concerns. I mean, I don't think, again, he's not a bad kid. He doesn't like get in trouble or anything, but you know, we definitely hear some kind of bad things about his approach and, and interaction with teammates and stuff. Can you think of anyone who's had questions like that? in the last like five or six years that actually has like turned out to be really good or do those does it always seem that when those whispers are there at the start of the draft that the guy doesn't work out and doesn't fulfill his physical potential yeah I mean I'm trying to think there there has to be you know guys like that um I'm trying to think so he actually he reminded me in terms of the uh, you know, lack of um, camaraderie with guys and stuff like that. He reminded me a little of Ben Simmons in that way. Um, yeah. You know, I, in 
you know, for better or for worse, um, just not a lot of, of connection with those guys. Very much, you just got the feel that he's very much there on a rental, and which, you know, is if you're not winning the reality in some ways. Um, but I just wonder, you know, if this guy gets paid in the NBA, um, you know, you're, you're probably going to see some of the same things. So I, I'm trying to think of some names of some guys that, that kind of had that rep and, and overperformed uh, blanking. Yeah. I mean, maybe like, what do you think about like Dennis Schroeder? Like, could mm-hmm. you see him as kind of like the same type of guy as him? You know, I mean, obviously not. Schroeder's not American, but like you hear some of the whispers about Schroeder being hard to play with, but he also has overperformed his draft slot at 17. Right. Yeah. But he is a guy who, correct me if I'm wrong, like he'll, he'll get up into you and defend. No. Yeah. No, he's, I mean, I think he is different player for sure, but yeah. at least like he's going to give like if you're to me, like if your teammates see like you can be a bit of an asshole, but you know, that's, yeah. that's totally fine. But if your teammates see that, like you'll run through a wall to win, then that's, you know, that's one thing. But if you're just floating completely, uh, I, I think that's another. I'm not as concerned as you are about his defense, actually. I think that, like, he gets steals. He's got a good feel. When he does try, he he can be good. I mean, I think I actually I thought that Fultz was much more. I'm much more concerned about Fultz than Smith. I mean, I realize Fultz has the tools and might be able to switch a little bit more. But just in terms of like the ability to actually get into guys when he tries, you know, I think like he. I think it's like the the capability is there. Like I I didn't think that his and you've watched more of him than I did, but I didn't think that like his defense, especially considering the situation, was like so concerning compared to just like you know your average big star freshman college point guard. Like I felt he was like fine when you look at that, and he has the capability to do more in my opinion. He's got some strength too, so maybe he could even you know hold up okay uh, on switches if he needs to. Yeah, he's had his. I mean, he's definitely had his moment. I, you know, I don't want to kill the guy. I think he's. Yeah. I think he's a super super talented kid yeah. you know I mean, and, you have him uh, as number eight that's not killing him you know it's just I, i'm right. very high on him so i expected you to, to push back a little bit right of course yeah yeah no i i think he's super talented and I, i'm interested to see how the, his jumper uh, translates as well because yes. he, he was a guy who i mean you know for as much grief as we give De'Aaron fox like they were almost similar level shooters coming into this year um you know at least from what we saw you know at the high school level so i'm, I'm very interested he's kind of one of these shoot at the peak of your jump guys um so i'm interested to see what that looks like when you back him up to nba3 i noted that i thought w- when he shot off the catch it actually looked great uh Uh but then off the dribble especially on like long twos he was just horrendous yeah, yeah, I think there's some stuff, you know, to clear, like, I, I, I'm not sure he's a 35% three-point shooter, you know, I think, um, yeah. and, and that's, that's going to be really important for him, because sure. he does, he's not this huge, you know, he's explosive, but he's not this huge guard, um, and he relies a lot on, you know, having that space to be able to use his explosiveness, so uh, I think that's a thing to watch, you know, the, the, the defensive stuff is a thing to watch, but again, like, we see these kids so young, and it's so easy to, to nitpick them on all these different different things and you know i'm sure if i was at nc state in that situation i would have wouldn't have been the happiest camper either so um you know i think there's a good chance that he's a guy who does overperform his stock if he if he lands in the right situation yeah i mean that's if he goes to new york like cancel right. everything that i've said about <laughs> <him>. <laughs> for sure uh at least at least unless phil jackson gets fired and they stop running the triangle but yeah i mean there are definitely a lot of guys who became very good NBA shooters who were just as bad as uh, Smith or, or you know, Deer and Fox for that matter. So uh, how much time do you have left still, by the way? Uh, I'm good. Let's, let's keep it rolling. All right. Um, Jason Tatum 
and Jonathan Isaac. Which of those two guys do do you like better and why? So I like Tatum. Um, I, I get, here's my thing. Like I, I really get the intrigue with Isaac. Um, I, you know, saw him very early in his high school career, um, you know, re- really right after his big growth spurt. And I was like, man, who is this guy? You know, he has great feet. Uh, he can put it on the floor a little bit. It seems like he has some skill. Um, and I think if you just watch, you know, like you watch his, obviously his defense, I think he's going to be a guy who, you know, can switch everything and, and guard pretty much one through four comfortable. I mean, there are clips of him picking up 94 feet and staying with point guards, you know? So I think that's yeah. where his value is. Um, but to me on the offensive side of the ball, I just, I don't, I'm not sure he has the mentality to ever be more than like a hyper role guy. Um, I just, you know, I know there are some, some guys on that Florida state team that like to pound it um, and like to get shots up, you know, Dwayne Bacon and Rattan Mays and those guys. But even at the high school level, Isaac's always been um, not all that sure of his abilities all the time. Um, Not, and I just, I'm not sure he's ever going to be like a top, you know, three scoring option um, on your team. So that's why uh, I, I tend to give the nod to Tatum, um, not by much, but I just think that he's a guy who, you know, can really go get you a bucket. Maybe he plays a little bit of an inefficient style, but I think his, he's just really polished, um, you know, 16, 17 feet in. I think he's going to be able to play the four and that's going to, you know, give him more time to get his shot off. And, he, you know, he clearly has touch. Um, so I think he'll get better there. Um, he has some things to iron out, but I, I just think he's a better prospect. What do you think of both of their shooting, uh, Tatum and Isaac? Um, I actually, I mean, I don't think Tatum is the most like functional, uh, like wing shooter in, in that, like he doesn't get into it all that quickly. He needs some time. So I think his best minutes are going to come at the four. I think he has more natural touch than Isaac does. Um, even at the high school level, I, th- I thought that that was the case just in terms of rotation and, and how the ball comes, comes out of his hand, you know, just with touch, you can see, I mean, he's shot 85% from the line. Um, he's, you know, forever been a very, very good free throw shooter. Um, whereas Isaac, I think he looks good getting into his shot. I think, um, you know, he catches on the hop. He's got that quick rise. I think he's more upright as an off the dribble shooter, but I'm not sure he has as much natural touch. Yeah. And I, I think, you know, from 17 feet and in, I absolutely think Tatum would be a, a better shooter. Um, I, I think I like Isaac better from three though. Mm-hmm. Is, is, would you agree with that assessment? Um, I, I I don't know. I mean, I think he I like his ability to get it off quicker, you know. Um, but I you know I I think if if Tatum is going to be able to play a lot of minutes at the four and have more time to get to it, then I would buy his accuracy more in terms of like his you know it sounds repetitive, just his touch. Like I I just think he has yeah. better touch. Yeah, I think the reason I like Isaac over over Tatum is just I think he's a little bit better of a fit with his ability to protect the rim like Tatum I mean, he actually blocked a few shots as, as I recall and was a good rebounder I was really impressed with Isaac as well how well he competed even though like guys who are really skinny like he kind of reminds me of Thon Maker a little bit in that way yeah. of like uh-huh. a skinny guy who still will like throw his body around in there and get on the boards his defensive rebound rate was fantastic 
Yeah, he does, he's gonna see. That's my thing. Like he's gonna do all those things. You know, like he's gonna be a re, to me a really good rule starter. Um, so to say, you know, one is for sure better than the other is maybe not the right argument. I think they're just very different. Yeah. Um, I think what's gonna be important for him also though is his his feel. Like he, I think he has a, a solid feel in that he'll stay in his lane. You know, he's he's efficient in what he does. Um, but you know, if you're getting if you think you're getting a guy who's gonna like play out of a ball screen and find guys and he's just he's not a great passer um and I think yeah. Tatum is actually a better passer when he wants to and if we're they're able to coach out some of the you know catch and instant dribble go into ISO stuff that he has um then I think he'll be a little bit better there but uh, you know different prospects and I I really like Isaac as well he's sixth on my board um but to me I think Tatum you know has a slight edge and a lot of it to, for me is is the mentality thing yeah that, uh, and I get, like if Tatum can become an efficient scorer in the mid range, uh, I that that'd be great. But I like I kind of see him as like he's your number two scoring option on a team that wins like thirty five games. Like that's how I could kind of see it. like because I, I think he's gonna be a guy. Yeah, you know he can pass okay, but I don't see him as being a great three point shooter. Maybe that comes around, but I, I think he's got to kind of rework his shot a little bit. Like the way mm-hmm. he shoots it just doesn't really seem like it works that well from NBA three yet or even from the college line. Um, but but I mean yeah like certainly what he can do in the mid post is really impressive but you know if he's being guarded by a you know the best wing defender on in the NBA is he going to be able to do that I wasn't really very impressed with his ability to get to the basket and finish and felt the same about Isaac actually like Isaac just cannot jump off of one foot which is so weird for a guy with his body type usually those guys can't jump off a two and they're really good one foot jumpers right yeah to me I think the key for you know both of them really is just knowing that you know you don't want to put Isaac on on the wing. I think Isaac is a four um, who can maybe give you some minutes at the five, uh, you know, can kind of moonlight there a little bit. Uh, and then and then Tatum, same thing. I mean, I think he's his best minutes are going to come at the four for sure. But I think he at least has the frame up top. Maybe he's a little narrow on the hips, but up top, yeah. that's going to fill out really nicely. Um, you know, he doesn't have like a seven, five wingspan or anything, but I think he has a pretty big reach. So I think, you know, with the way the league is, he'll be able to play fairly comfortably at the four um and you know if he's surrounded with guys who can shoot that's the key because then i think he can you can afford a little bit more you know to let him operate in that mid post area uh because i mean for all his flaws like he's as polished as a guy in that area at that age as as i've seen in, in a long time yeah i i made the comparison with him if it, and this is a, you know if it works out and i don't think he'll ever be the type of three-point shooter that this guy is but i thought like a joe johnson is actually so someone that he kind of reminds mm-hmm. me of a little bit with his operation in the mid post. Yeah, I think there's something to that for sure. I think a lot of it uh, to me though is like even watching going back and watching um you know like like Carmelo and and guys who are like really good in the post like Carmelo was feasting in the post not with all this skill stuff like that that came later but he was just a monster, you know. Yeah. And, and he was also a guy who could like rise and fire, you know, from NBA 3 at the college level like no problem. Um and so Tatum kind of has this old man even for joe johnson like right. he wasn't as good in the as good in the post early in his career um so he has this old man game kind of already 
Yeah, I just wish he had more young man game. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's fair. I think that's fair. Um, all right, so another guy who I think is probably going to be pretty divisive. Like, actually, no, let's talk about De'Aaron Fox because I don't think he he is like kind of not really that divisive to me. Do you see any way that he has superstar potential? I mean, if he becomes a you know, and I don't think he's going to become a knockdown shooter, but if he comes like a reliable like thirty five plus percent shooter, I think there's a chance. Um, I do because he is I mean to me he's the most functionally athletic player in the draft um you know I, I get you know Dennis Smith has that off two foot in space absolute thunder power athleticism but in terms of like twitch and change shift of gears and and not needing you know a ball screen to get into the paint um he's elite in, in that regard and I think he's gonna want to be a two-way guy as well um at least versus point guards I, I don't think he's I think with that frame he's gonna struggle to guard more than that but to me if he's able to turn into like you know an above average shooter um i mean he's gonna be really dynamic have you guys seen him uh in pro days shooting at all how'd he look yeah uh he looked pretty good honestly he's always looked okay to me like the mechanics have always been you know okay maybe that's even more of a concern if you talk about you know maybe he just doesn't have great touch but to me like he he made a fair amount of shots you know at the high school level um you know there's like some clips out there of him banging like 10 threes and going for 56 in some high school game you know like he's not Alfred Payton um and I think he's I think he's gonna get better there and I really like his makeup uh mentally as well like oh yeah he's just he's everything you want in terms of competitor in terms of you know his personality he lives in the gym um I think that kid gets it yeah, it's, uh, like I see him as being someone who can be a, a solid point guard, but also mm-hmm. someone who is going to need like three or four years really to to develop perhaps that he just, you know, maybe he can become a great shooter, but it's going to take him or not a great shooter, but a, a solid shooter two or three years to get there. And it, it's difficult. I was talking about this the other day with, with someone that it's difficult when you've got a guy like, like him, if you don't expect him to be, a, you know, a contributing winning player in the first two or three years at point guard, if you don't have a good point guard, like it's really hard to have a good offense. And now you've kind of, you know, you're, you're as, an executive you've spent three years and this guy still isn't ready and now it's time for another contract and you're kind of you know he's not going to be a good player until five or six years down the road do you see him as that kind of guy or or could it be you know that he's going to be successful earlier in his career I think it's going to take him a little bit of time for sure I mean they're going to go under every screen and and he's not like this pick you apart passer from the perimeter either you know he's yeah he's more so like he doesn't have every read out of, out of a ball screen he's more of a okay get into the paint and then what do I do type of guy um I think ideally he would be able to go into a situation where he isn't the you know here's the keys right away guy and he comes in as like a change of pace guy off the bench um, because he is so explosive and because uh, you know he's going to defend and and do those things and then you know kind of work from there but I think with where he's going to get drafted he's probably going to be a you know start right away potentially type of guy especially you know if he goes to Sacramento so I think there will be some growing pains but you know I, I bet on like I said like the type of kid he is and the type of worker he is and all that that it's going to be a faster process than it would otherwise all right so what i want to do here i want to just ask you one question about these next couple couple of guys that's the biggest question in my mind lowry markinen is there any chance he's not a huge defensive liability um maybe huge is maybe he could be not a huge (laughs) defensive liability i think he's going to be um 
you know, at best case, he's going to be average, and I, I wouldn't bet on that. I will say, though, I think that he's better on the perimeter than he gets credit for um, in terms of just his feet. I, I don't. I think he's probably a better athlete than he showed as well this year, just with the lack of college spacing and and kind of you know uh, the way that they played at, at times. Um, I mean, he was even playing like the three at, at times at Arizona. So I, I think he's going to be better, like in switches, um, than people think. Uh, I just he doesn't really have the length to recover, and that's obviously a, a big factor. Um, and on the interior, he's going to struggle also. So, I mean, if I was a betting man, I would say he's going to be you know a little bit of a minus defensively. But I do think that he got some good experience this year chasing guys around. He was guarding a guy like Miles Bridges. You know, he he had some experience guarding those like college fours. Um, so I think he'll be better on the perimeter than people think. But uh, still, again, he's not going to protect the rim, and and he's not the most physical tough guy yeah quickly you don't see him as being able to play center defensively um I mean I don't I don't see him as a starting center you know yeah. but I think he can give you some minutes there if if he can then he's you know super super interesting I think yeah yeah uh Malik Monk can he defend point guards uh it's his best chance to defend <laughs> so he's he's gonna have to I think he has the capabilities too I think he has the feet too um and I think he you know he's he's quick enough um I just I, I I'm not sure that's something that he wants to do at a very high level can he maybe if not play point guard be an effective pick and roll player I think in time he can. Um, I, I think, you know, he showed a little bit like he can, you know, throw a lob to Bam or something like that if, if the big is, is on his heels and, and you know, um, he, he can do a little bit of that. I think because he can shoot off the dribble, um, then he, he has some potential there. Uh, but to me, like he's he wants to get buckets, you know, that's what he's always wanted to do. So I think if you're drafting him to be a lead guard, it's a mistake. His handle is very unimpressive to me. Obviously, yeah. his shooting is, is fantastic. I, I haven't done my pod on him yet, and hopefully I'll have a chance to get to it. But we're we're, uh, we're fast running out of time here. But I I did some work on him the last couple of days, and I just I really was very concerned about his dribbling. I think, like, you know, if you're thinking about him compared to, like, some of the other guys of his ilk, you know, like Jamal Crawford is probably, like, the, a comparison right. that he might get. Like, he's nowhere near that type of guy in terms of penetration to me. So he's got to – if he's going to run more pick and roll I think he's got to really improve it in that area yeah he's more of like a quick hitting action type of guy to me yeah um, and that's what what I, I do like about him in some ways is like he doesn't pound it you know he's not yeah. a guy who needs like a million dribbles to score so I think he's at least going to be a fit there but if you look at uh, how little he got to the rim in the half court given the type of athlete he is um, it's it's definitely concerning yeah on the other hand he was also playing with De'Aaron Fox and Isaiah Briscoe as the other two guards <laughs> <laughs> and right. a lot of times Wenyan Gabriel as well, who couldn't shoot either. Like when right. it's so funny, like all these these college teams. I mean, I'm not a college basketball expert, but with all these talent, all this talent, and then you have like Derek Willis or who is the dude on North Carolina who hit that shot against Kentucky, like who's not really a pro prospect but can shoot it at the four. Like right, yeah. There's a lot of the, there's a lot of these guys, uh, and, and that around. just opens things up so much for everyone else. Even if those guys like aren't really prospects at all, like just to like because you just need someone like that. You can have these power forward prospects who can't shoot and then there's like the spacing gets so compacted um yeah even Fultz like he I mean yeah they played two traditional bigs a lot of the time which is which is crazy that he even had the efficiency that he did Frank Nilakina, can he get to the basket at all um it's 
not as the primary ball handler yet, I don't think. Uh, I actually think he's going to have a lot of success off the ball. Um, I think he's going to be able to defend ones, twos, and threes eventually, but he's not all that explosive or shifty, you know, with the ball. I think his handle can get a little bit loose. I I like him more as a complimentary off the ball guy uh, who can at least think out of a ball screen and at least has, you know, kind of long strides to the rim. Um, But as a, you know, primary get to the rim, slice you up out of a ball screen guy, uh, that's not what he really gives you. What kind of an athlete is he? I think he's fluid, um, but he's not very explosive. Uh, I think he, you know, he's. I think he's a guy who could actually have a little bit of untapped athletic potential uh, because he is still really young, and I think he's still kind of growing into his frame a little bit. Um, but he's more fluid, long strides than he is like boom, pop, you know, quick twitch, uh, get to the rim and, and go dunk on you. Like, I mean, you can see it in the film. You know, a guy with those tools. Uh, that that length, you know, didn't have a lot of you know half court get to the rim dunks. Um, so he he's he's definitely just okay there. Yeah, I didn't have a ton of craft finishing at this point that I noticed either, or, or, or much mm-hmm. much right. in terms of, of floater game. Who's your comp for him? Uh man, I mean, I think he could be. I don't know. Maybe there's a little bit of like Delon Wright there, you know. Um, but who is longer and you know younger at the same stage? But a guy who's not gonna like wow you as a scorer. I think he's obviously a better shooter than Delon at the same age. I think he has a better frame. But uh, I think a guy with a high high basketball IQ who's gonna defend. Um, and you know who who can. I mean, Delon's probably more of a, a pure point guard at, right now. But um, that's that's really the closest one I. Have. Have for him interesting yeah I, i'm i i see it definitely from like an, an athleticism standpoint i, I mean I, i'm very impressed with uh Nilakina's shooting like that's the biggest thing yeah. that i uh, that really stood out to me especially when you consider his age and he's shooting from you know he's not shooting from the college three-point line he's shooting from you know the feeble line so i i think that's encouraging what, my comp for him was like george hill that was the one that i thought of yeah yeah a guy who doesn't like break you down completely but frank part of it though is frank was not i mean he was not a great shooter um, early on in his career at all. You know, I mean, last year he shot 27% from three, you know, the year before 30. Uh, he really blew up this summer and he, he's been a pretty good shooter at the, the FIBA stuff. But um, I don't know, like when you crowd him a little bit, uh, he, he does have some trouble. So I, I'm interested to see how that develops. Where is he on, on your personal board? I have him uh, 12. Okay, so you so who's who's ahead of him? Because it, it seems like a lot of people are saying that, you know, he is like kind of 8th or ninth. Smith is 8th or ninth, and that that there's a clear drop-off after that point. You don't see it that way, huh? No, yeah, I think Smith is a much better prospect than him. Um, I think, like, to me, Frank is going to really defend. He's going to make the right play, and he's an awesome kid. I mean, he's like a big-time worker. He's super, super intelligent so I think that goes into it too like he's an easy guy you know if you're the Mavs say who've been reported to really like him like he's an easy guy to fall in love with um, just because of he has all the mental stuff uh, in addition to the physical tools but I I think Donovan Mitchell um, I I like him more than I like Frank Uh, I think Luke Kennard is actually in that range also Um, you know even I like Justin Jackson quite a bit as well so those are some guys who are who are kind of in that range for me yeah 
Justin Jackson, we I have not discussed at all on my program. You told me when you did his video that I was really going to like him. I did. I did like the video, but uh, you know, that was, I haven't had a chance to look into him more closely than that. But what is the appeal there? He's twenty two, six eleven wingspan, pretty skinny though, under two hundred pounds. Uh, but what's the appeal for him? Yeah, he's just turned himself into a big time shooter. Um, he can do it in a variety of ways. He's good off of screens. He can really, really pass. Um, he's he he has ways to kind of combat his lack of you know frame and his lack of uh, you know elite athleticism. Uh, he has all these floaters, you know, kind of like a TJ Warren in that he doesn't. Uh, I think a better prospect than TJ, but in that he doesn't need a lot of dribbles to get things done. Um, so to me, he's like a plug and play, you know, wing who's who's going to average 15 points a game eventually in the NBA, you know, at the least. Um, can can do a lot of things as, as a shooter to me. There is something to be said because his floater game is very impressive for guys who score in ways that other teams you know don't deal with on a regular basis his floater game which you know that's going to be of questionable efficiency even when you're good at it but nba teams aren't going to just not guard someone in that spot right and so if you have to deal with that shot it can kind of open things up or you know allow him to get to that shot defensively he's pretty thin how does he project there yeah i think the he's not a physical defender um but he has good feet he's made really great strides there he's one of these guys who who has a good feel for like how much space he needs to give himself uh, to still get to a hand contest. So, I mean, he's not, you know, he's going to have trouble if, you know, one of these big physical wings puts him on the block and, and puts him in a blender. But uh, I think he has good feet. He has good instincts and he has solid positional length. Um, so, you know, he's never going to be a star, but I think he's going to be, you know, a plug and play uh, type of wing who doesn't need, um, you know, many dribbles to get stuff done. Could he switch on to a point guard? Uh, in terms of his feet, I think so, yeah. All right. That's a, that is kind of kind of an exciting player. I mean, anybody, anybody at all, once you get past like even maybe the top five and certainly the top 10, if you have someone who can project to be average on both ends on the wing, like that's an extremely valuable player. I mean, they're just, they're so right. few of those guys uh, around. Kennard is an interesting one to me. I haven't had a chance to watch him uh, as much. Uh, just turned 21, sophomore. Uh, he's uh, considered one, one of the better shooters, but uh, what's the case uh, for him? being that high he's been one of the people who's been talked about as like a, a riser of late yeah um i've always really liked luke his the way he's developed has been really impressive i mean he's worked on his body a lot um he's re- i think he's a guy who can play on the ball a lot more than people think i don't he's not your average you know duke white guy who can just catch and shoot like he he can play out of a ball screen he can shoot off the dribble he's tremendous out of pin downs because he's a guy who can like plant and rise you know off the catch um, he can head fake, put it down and has floaters with either, either hand. He can hit that slip guy. Um, he's a really quick thinker. He, he's, you know, needs to get better defensively for sure, but he's a ballsy kid. I mean, he's, he's not afraid of the moment. He made a ton of big shots at Duke. Um, you know, six, six can shoot dribble pass. Uh, you know, I, I, I'm into that. Yeah. And I guess the last guy we should talk about too, before I hit you up for some lower down sleepers, you, you mentioned Mitchell, another guy that I'm not as familiar with, haven't had a chance to watch, much film on him so and because our listeners only ever listen to our podcast uh they would have no <laughs> other way of getting information about him so so if you could uh, give us the load on him quickly yeah um big time defender 
6'3", 6'10", I believe, wingspan, 215 pounds, tough as nails, kid. Um, I think he's going to be able to defend ones, twos, maybe even, you know, try his hand at some threes just because he is so long and he is so strong um, and has really turned himself into a, an impressive shooter. He's, you know, a little bit on the streaky side, isn't it? His numbers, um, you know, wavered a little bit, but I think he's going to make shots at a really high level um, in the NBA. He's going to defend. He's explosive in space he's a he's a two-foot jumper only and he'll tell you that actually which I think hurts him yeah it was funny I had a conversation about that with him before Adidas Nations once I was like man like you know you're really explosive but uh two feet only huh he's like yeah man I can't jump off one it's terrible (laughs) and so I think that's something that you know he's he's working on but um just a tough-minded kid kind of like one of these three and d off guard types um, who's going to defend a couple spots, make threes, you know, fly around. And, and again, one of the best mentalities in this draft, I think, in terms of work ethic and, and knowing, you know, what he is, what he needs to get better at. Yeah, my concern with him would be whether he can score and shoot the ball efficiently enough to, to stay on the floor. Do you think he has the offensive game to be a starting shooting guard? I think can he's he going to be... Yes, I think he's going to be a very good NBA shooter. I, I think I think um, that's going to be an area where he's an asset on the floor eventually. Yeah, because um, maybe and, and sooner, it's sooner rather than later. I think. Okay, yeah. Is it just it, what makes you say that? Because I don't like his percentages are not amazing, right? Like, what did he shoot from three this year? Like thirty-two percent or something like that. Thirty-five, I think. Um, okay. but on a lot of tough shots, they needed him yeah. to kind of shoulder a big load. Um, I just I really like the way he shoots the ball. We were able to you know see him um up close in in a couple of workouts uh one agent or a couple agent workouts and then um in chicago as well he came into a gym and and, you know kind of let let us get a look at him and um just really really on balance straight up and down gets good elevation ball comes out with good rotation Uh, i think that's a big reason why you know he is seen as somewhat of a riser is uh people are seeing okay like this kid's gonna really be able to shoot the ball do you remember anyone who like wowed you with their shooting in a workout who just turned out to like not be able to shoot in the Oh man, um, I'm trying to think. A funny one is uh, Willie Cauley Stein last year. I mean, you knew that that's not really what he does, but yeah, I mean, he he hit like you know ten of twelve threes, and then a bunch of step backs, and a bunch of crazy stuff. Um, so that was kind of a, a funny experience. Uh, trying to think who else. Yeah, that's that's the one that sticks out the most to me. Yeah, I mean, he works on that stuff all the time. Like he's all like before every Kings game, you'll see him like doing all these crazy. He'll like work. Yeah out with the guards like work on his handle and stuff and and uh you know you might want to try and get down you know the rebounding and shot blocking and actually you know being able to catch a pass and finish around the rim first but uh yeah it's uh, this is is one of the big questions that i've had i've never had enough access to workouts to really get a great feel of all right how does this shooting in a workout really translate and how does how does shooting when you're just shooting a bunch of set shot threes translate to shooting in a workout when you're tired or shooting in a game when you're tired or when you're contested or not contested or you're you're sped up or whatever you know what what percentage do you lop off you know basis from when you're just shooting around or what like that's those are always questions that i have that uh you know i definitely would get to work on if i worked for a team but you know <laughs> I, here we are <laughs> yes i i, I we, we remain a uh humble internet uh sports personalities <laughs> at this point all right give me uh three underrated guys in the popular conception and three guys who you think you don't see it with as much 
Yeah. Um, one guy I really like is Derek White from Colorado. I think he's going to have a chance to be, you know, somewhat of an instant impact guy. Um, he Very interesting story. Was a, a D2 kid. Um, really ended up in a D2 even by accident. He, he committed to an NAI school. He was like NAIA school. He was like 6'1 out of high school. That coach took a D2 job. Uh, so he ended up there, grew to 6'5, transferred to Colorado, averaged 18 points a game last year, um, can play on the ball can play off the ball can really shoot it um great instincts as a passer kind of a sneaky athlete you know will will get up and bang one on you every once in a while um so to me he's a guy who i think you know we'll look back and say oh you know he maybe should have been a top 20 pick um another guy like is shemi ojale from smu looks more like a you know defensive end than he does a basketball player but uh really really great feet um six about six seven 240 pounds with a five percent body fat Uh, he's a big time worker um has turned himself into a, a really impressive shooter I think he's gonna you know have quite a bit of success playing the four even maybe some super small ball five um, just because of the body uh, and you know killer mentality he's just a guy I, I would bet on in terms of maximizing his potential um, another guy I like is Kyle Kuzma from Utah um, you know not gonna give you a ton on the defensive end right now but um, can shoot the ball can put it down can grab and go you know can really pass in the open floor has mature quite a bit as a guy um so so those are three you know that i like quite a bit um and then in, t- in terms of guys who are maybe you know i'm not quite as high on um you know tj leaf is a guy i, I haven't quite seen in, in terms of being a you know this top 20 guy i think he benefited you know quite a bit from playing with lonzo um and i'm not sold that he's you know the 40 plus percent three-point shooter that he was there i uh, was more of a mid-range guy more of an athlete um in high school you know he can pass and do some things but not quite a sold on him. Um, yeah, I don't guys, see what I, his what his fit is just defensively. You know, I think he's like it's just going to be difficult for him to stay on the floor unless he's just like an unbelievable offensive player. Right. Yeah. Defensively, he had a lot of trouble this year. Um, and then just how his offense translates, uh, I'm, I'm not sure on that either. So um, I see him as, for me, he's more of a second round guy. And for some people, he's, you know, in the lottery. So um, for, you know, Ivan Rab is another guy. I'm not uh, quite set on, you know, his fit in the NBA. Um, to me, he's a five all the way in today's NBA. He's about, you know, I don't know 215 pounds, uh, not the most explosive athlete, has some skill, um, can switch a little bit you know is gonna rebound so we'll at least give you that but i don't really see the the uh allure with him being more than like a rotational big yeah Um, i agree with you on that like he seems like a poor man's ed davis yes right without the bounce yeah 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 you can't get get up the way davis probably not as good at like an offensive rebounder either and uh you know probably not even like same kind of body but uh yeah i mean doesn't seem like the kind of guy you can really hold up at the five even the way like ed could although i mean if you got ed davis at the with the 25th you're actually probably doing pretty well but um right yeah and uh, then the last guy yeah, i guess would be would be tony bradley i'm not um as you know sold on him being much more than like an offensive rebounder maybe could pop to 15 and make a shot every once in a while but um not you know i think he's gonna have some trouble defending in space so 
Yeah, he was a guy I was intrigued by because he rates out pretty well analytically. But then after looking at your video, I was kind of like, eh, you know, like he's just he's probably a little bit too slow, like not not good enough protecting the rim. Doesn't have quite like the physicals. Like I think I would I would be more interested in like uh, Ike uh, any any Bogu is that how you pronounce it? Yeah, Ike Ani Bogu. Okay, all right, I got this the second part right. Um, yeah, you're there. What's the story with Terrence Ferguson? Um, yeah, I, I think he. He's had his, you know, ups and downs throughout the pre-draft process. Um, he's, you know, obviously so you've seen him. He's a dunk contest type of athlete who can shoot it, wants to defend, just no ball skills. Um, still, has, I don't think has improved his body much. Um, and just in terms of, you know, understanding what he is, I think that's going to be a question for him. You know, I, I don't think he's quite willing to accept being, you know, quote unquote, somewhat of a three and D guy. I think he wants to prove he can put it down and, and do all these things when that's not really his game. But to his credit, um, you know, that's a pretty physical league that he played in. And while his stats aren't eye popping, you know, I, I watched a lot of the film and he he did a nice job, at least like buying into his role. So uh, I think he'll have a chance. You know, he's, he's got some size and he can shoot it and he's a willing defender. Yeah, I mean, if you defend and you can shoot the ball and you can jump, I mean, that's that, that to me, like, I would consider him a, a little bit higher. And it's always tough for these guys who go overseas playing against men in like a one year rental type of situation um for, for those who don't know he played in australia last year was supposed to go to i think alabama originally uh mm-hmm. and yep. and uh but he i mean he absolutely tore up the hoop summit although it was against you know an absolutely horrendous world team uh in in 2016 so I, yeah I, I think i like him better uh again i didn't watch a ton of film of him but just kind of what i saw of him even at the lower levels i think i i would have him a, a little bit higher um Let's see. Let me ask you about one. Oh, I guess Harry, Harry Giles would be the other one who kind of seems like uh, I, I'm kind of a believer sometimes in these guys who were ranked pretty highly as recruits and then just don't really perform in college. Uh, Jalen Braun, I think, could even though he yep. was drafted number three, falls into that category. I think that in some ways, I almost think that like AU ball is like a better predictor and like closer <laughs> to the NBA than college is in some ways. Yeah, I mean, I, I see what you're saying there. And, and to some degree, you don't want to overscout these guys you know um especially based on you know the situation obviously the question with giles is more so health than anything um yeah and if he's going to be okay there then you know i think as a rim running lob catching you know switching uh big he's, he's fairly interesting yeah i never saw him as like absolute superstar potential necessarily even when healthy uh, mm-hmm. you know i think it right. more is just like he could be a quality starting center maybe but you know i didn't see him as like is he really just going to kill people uh, offensively and he's not even when he was healthy he was never quite like the nuclear type of athlete or shot blocker that you would hope for at that position when you're talking about or just like you know the skill level of like a Carl Towns he's never was quite that level of just popping out to me even when we saw him you know as close to healthy as he's gotten in the last three or four years yeah I think he was more so probably going to be like a better version of what he will be now you know just with more explosive all right well I will let you go this is uh, above and beyond thanks for for sticking around this long and we're looking forward to seeing you on that yahoo show where you're awesome by the way i was shocked when you were like yeah i've never done tv before like you were you were fantastic uh thanks man on that. Yeah, I so, tried. so yeah we're looking forward to uh tom creed tom i was surprised that tom was actually like as forthright as he was about some of these prospects when he was still the indiana coach but now that he's like totally unencumbered like i'm really looking forward to what he's gonna have to say about everyone too oh man he's been he's been all hands on
on deck. He's watching tons of film. He was at the Nike EYBL in LA. Like he, I mean, he's, he's getting after it. So he'll have some very good takes. I'm sure. Yeah. Well, people, a lot of people have asked, Oh, are, are me and Danny going to do a, a live draft show? And I'm like, no, we're not because we can't do it as well as you guys. So I would encourage everyone who has asked that question to watch, uh, watch Mike show. And you guys had like 1.7 million viewers or something like that last year, like uh, at one point or another. So that's, uh, a lot of people watching it's definitely better than the espn show i uh, encourage you guys all to watch that thanks much appreciated all right and thanks for coming on we'll be back tomorrow with uh more stuff no idea what it's going to be yet but uh you know it'll be good because we always we always try to bring the quality uh talk to y'all later at bet 365 we don't do ordinary we believe that every sport should be epic every goal every game every point every play from the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply.